The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hey, yo, yo, yo! Welcome to another edition of NBA Today. I'm your host Corbin Ford. Uh, this is a hoop ball presentation, so make sure to follow the fine folks of hoop ball on Twitter at hoop ball tweets online hoop dashball.com today y'all mentioned him several times we got a special guest good friend host of duncan dynasty mr garrett bougay garrett how you doing man i'm doing good i'm i'm really excited to finally finally get to get an opportunity to be on nba today i feel like i've had to to, to bang on your door for quite some time now but uh, <laughs> yeah really excited i have totally dropped the ball on my co-host duties of i'm on your show all the time Hey, come on this show all the time, and I've I've been a mess there, so I'm going to pick up the speed. We're going to make up for lost time. This is the first of a few. I got you on that, Garrett. Um, good, <laughs> you can follow Garrett on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. Great basketball mind. Also, you might run into some hot, uh, some movie TV takes, because this guy's a, a media maestro in that regard, so definitely make sure to follow him there. But today, we will not be talking movies unless we're comparing the Knicks to some type of tragedy. We are going to be talking the offseason season. For the lottery teams, um, in case you weren't aware or had, you know, been asleep the last couple months, those are Golden State Warriors, the Cleveland Cavs, Minnesota Timberwolves, Atlanta Hawks, Detroit Pistons, New York Knicks, Chicago Bulls, Charlotte Hornets, Washington Wizards, Phoenix Suns, San Antonio Spurs, Sacramento Kings, New Orleans Pelicans, and Memphis Grizzlies. The teams that obviously we did not see after a certain amount of time in the bubble for some and teams like any of the Eastern Conference teams that we never saw, you know, after March. So we're going to talk about them. Give a little discussion on where they're going and the various plans of attack that they might utilize. But I and me and Gary had some fun with this one. Uh, I tried to split them into some categories. So we're going to toss the categories out here and then I'm going to get Garrett's list and share mine. But basically, there's three categories for these for for these teams. One, no matter what you do, you'll be here next year, which is just that you're doomed to repeat this process. And we're referring to the teams that are in the lottery now that you can assume will be in the lottery next year. The second one. This might be the last time that you're here for a while. Teams we can talk about that are better than maybe they appear to be this year or that have a brighter future that will not land them in the lottery next year. And then last but not least, and sort of like number one, uh, yeah, I'm a veteran in the lottery process. I mean, I'm just going to throw a team like we already know, the Knicks. They've been here before. Other teams have been here before. Basically, teams that it, it's it's not even it, – one is about a plan of attack in, in number one. Uh, no matter what you do, be here next year, that their plan of attack is flawed. And the other is just an organizational situation disaster that we can kind of delve into whatever we think those teams may be. So, Garrett, having just blurbed all that out, what do you think about the categories and, and how you uh, put your thought process into these teams? Well, yeah, I kind of did it with, um, yeah, one being a veteran of the lottery process, those teams that essentially, yeah, we think, you know, they were in it last year. They're, it's going to continue. Nothing really is going to change. The other one being <laughs> the, the second category being kind of the uh, what teams are, are likely to be out of there. And then the third one I had, which uh, was, was kind of in between those two, where it's it's more of like, you know, what teams uh, do I think could, could sort of go either way? You know, if things go go really well this upcoming season if uh, if they make the right moves if the GM makes the right moves adds to the talent players stay healthy and and players you know especially the young guys on the roster improve we could see them making the playoffs 
But, you know, if uh, if things go poorly, you know, they have a they have bad injury luck or, you know, guys don't develop as as we might expect. It can kind of go the other way. So that's kind of how I did it. But Corbin, you know, we've we've had this bubble for so long and and eight of the 14 teams we're going to be talking about didn't even appear in the bubble. So even yep. in prep for this, I was I was kind of just having to, to look at these teams rosters and remember, oh, yeah, the. This guy's on this team, you know. It's it's been a while. Oh no, I, I I was right there with you, especially when it came to um, teams that I didn't think I had a problem with, like the Cavs, like the Pistons, even like the Wizards. I'm looking at going, oh, I actually like this guy, or oh wow, it's been that long. And the Wizards were one of those, or were not one of those teams. They were actually in the bubble for a short period of time, but they were gone so quickly. And I I you know I regret to say I didn't. Well, actually, I don't know if I regret it, but I didn't watch too many of their games while in Orlando that that it was easy to lose track of them. It's been a while for some of these guys, the Timberwolves, the Hawks, the Pistons, the Knicks, the Bulls. It's going to be almost a full calendar year before we see them in NBA action again. Right. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm right there with you. I didn't uh, I didn't follow too much as far as the, the Wizards in the bubble, you know, and uh, frankly, it took me even a little while to start watching the Suns because, you know, I, I just kind of went in with the mindset that neither of these teams have a chance. Phoenix kind of changed that near the end, uh, even though they eventually didn't uh, didn't end up making the playoffs. But but yeah, it'll uh, it'll be fun to to kind of talk over some players and and some of these teams that are in the in various stages of the rebuilding process to figure out what they can do to, uh, you know, to 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 uh, leap into you know the upper echelon of the NBA. Oh yes, most definitely. And, and you know what? Let's just get started on that. Um, I, I figured I'd start with you, Garrett, but we'll put what what team you put in whatever category, and then we'll both discuss those teams. You know, while we're there, and if I agree or you agree or disagree, we can kind of discuss that nuance. But um, let's get it started. Let's get the ball rolling over to you for for the first category. The team, what they do, the future doesn't look. They, they look like they'll be in the similar situation next season. What teams do you have listed in, in, in that category? Okay, I've actually, this is the this is the category or the tier that I had the, I had eight teams in it, actually. Oh, wow, okay. So, I like it. Uh, I've got, you may just rattle them off? Oh, yeah, and then we can just kind of break, yeah, we can go in each one after. Yeah, just rattle them off. All right, so I've got the New York Knicks. Same. The Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. <laughs> the uh, the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. The uh, the Sacramento Kings. Mm-hmm. The Detroit Pistons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh wow! Okay. The Charlotte Hornets and the Atlanta Hawks. Wow. Okay. This was a big one. Well, I mean, I guess we're going to have a lot of our discussion um, in, in this one right here. I like that. I like that. Okay. There were some teams, you know what? I, I mean, this is why I was happy to get you on, man. It's been too long. Let's, let's, let's dive in. So for like teams like, and I guess we can run through them as we're discussing, but like the Knicks, the Bulls, let, let's start with the Knicks first. Cause I agree with a lot on your list. Um, The ones that I disagree with, I think are going to be fun discussions, but starting off with the Knicks and where they are, we know going in, that they've been in some relative turmoil after last season, basically signing 15 million power forwards, um, four players under contract um, heading into next season. They still have Julius Randle, um, R.J. Barrett, um, Alfred Payton, Wayne Ellington, um, uh, Frank Nilakina, Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox, uh, Mitch Robinson, Mitchell Robinson, um, and Taj Gibson. And they, on the court, I mean, easily one of the worst teams. They were not effective on either side of the ball. 
They were in the bottom third of the league in both offensive and defensive efficiency. And um, it, 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 it was it was rough for them. On the positive side, they had a lot of big men, so they were okay at, you know, generally uh, rebounding on the defensive end and defending shots around the rim. And when the defense was set, I thought they were pretty good. Um, And then Mitchell Robinson was also really solid. But aside from that, offensively, I mean, in, sh- in, in, in short, the Knicks just didn't have the talent to generate quality shots on a consistent basis. Like, Marcus Morris was was a high shot taker for that team and, and a high shot maker. And, no, you know, he's a very serviceable NBA player. But, I mean, for that to be his role, you know, it was interesting. And, and from a roster construction standpoint, they didn't put a lot of shooters around themselves. So they were already near the bottom of the league in three-point percentage. And then once Marcus Morris was gone by the trade deadline, they just fell apart. <laughs> yeah, I mean – you said it right away when when you said the the first thing that you brought up that was good about the Knicks was their rebounding. You know, if that's the if that's the main thing that comes to mind about a basketball team that they're good at is rebounding, <laughs> it's probably not a great sign. Um, they uh, and you know, speaking of this young talent that they've got on the roster, and this could just be uh, my bias considering I wasn't that high on Barrett, I wasn't that high on Kevin Knox. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of of the young talent they've got there. You know, um, and and you already mentioned the the confusion with the the management over signing too many power forwards. Uh, you know, I, I don't trust this uh, um, this front office to to do things and and to to build a team that that makes sense around uh, around Barrett. Uh, and, you know, they, they don't have a good draft pick this year. This is already uh, supposedly a, a weaker draft. And they've got all of this uh, cap space, but it's also one of the weaker free agent uh, um, free agent years that we've seen in quite some time. Oh, yeah, I agree. The, the, the ability to resuscitate the talent on their roster, you know, through the draft or free agency is pretty rough, especially in, like you said, a relatively, I mean, free agency is going to be rough already. Um, and having all the money, as we've seen from the Knicks last year, doesn't really make that big a difference if the teams don't want to, if the players don't want to go there. But then also in a, in a rather, you know, top-heavy draft, or you know, the, the Knicks will be drafting eighth, it'll be interesting to see where they go. And interesting being, interesting to see if they can make um, positive results come out of this, because I'm not bullish on that either. Uh, and, and like you mentioned with the organization, I don't have that faith. I was really hoping, you know, after clearing up a, a coaching position that they would go for a young assistant or assistant who'd worked in successful organizations that possibly had a strong background in player development or or even strategies that are more modern for today's game and and maybe not going with the retread and 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 instead the Knicks went right along with the retread in Tom Thibodeau um and and I don't know if that was the best if that was honestly the best decision I actually don't think it was um and even with their assets in the future I mean they have their 2020 first round pick. They have their first round um, rounder from the Clippers in the Marks Morris trade, but that's going to be a late one. Um, they have a 2020 second from Charlotte in the Willie Horner and Gomez trade a little early in, the, in last year, if I remember. And then that's really it. And then for free agents, I mean, no one really of note to look at. Uh, Bobby Portis, Alonzo Trier, Damian Dotson, and Maurice Hark uh, Maurice Harkless. I, I honestly, uh, correct me if, if you if you think differently, uh, Garrett. I don't think any of them will be back with the Knicks next year. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. I mean, they you know, you, you talk about that New York is the, the mecca of basketball and it's supposed to be this uh, this free agent destination. But we saw last year that it's actually the other team in New York, you know, Brooklyn, that is uh, <laughs> that is apparently the place that players want to go and play. And uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. The Thibodeau hire was pretty underwhelming. 
you talk about uh, again what Brooklyn did and and taking that uh, taking that big swing trying to find the next Nick Nurse or the next Steve Kerr in Steve Nash and Thibodeau just seems to be just kind of a a boring hire you know he he obviously had the great run with uh, as an assistant on the Celtics with Doc Rivers and then later with uh, with the Bulls but since then his uh, his resume is not that impressive. He, he kind of feels to me like a guy that really he came in and, and was an innovator in terms of that ice defensive coverage. Uh-huh. But uh, since then, I, I haven't seen much innovation from him much. Uh, th- there hasn't been much to get excited about. Oh, yeah, it, I agree. It was like coming up with that one thing, you know, 25 years ago and, and riding that as long as you can. And that's exactly what Coach Sims has done. Um, and I just don't see him as a development coach. In other situations, we saw him in Minnesota. Uh, it did not yield the best results. And then he went the veteran route and that underwhelmed as well. So I, I agree with you. The Knicks, I mean, they could honestly cross every negative category here, especially the veteran of the lottery process. But that's a lot of the reason why is because of the organizational structure and the lack of clear direction and you're right I think this year it's of that lack of clear direction and also an inadequate strategy in order to improve readily and I just don't trust uh between the players that they have on the roster currently and going moving forward you know the people at the helm that the Knicks are uh gonna be anywhere different but let's uh keep it moving right over I want to hear what you think about the Bulls Garrett because they're interesting to me I have them on the same list that you do in terms of being in the lottery next season, just early returns. But, like, signing Billy Donovan, who apparently may have left Oklahoma City because he didn't want to be part of a rebuild, or maybe it's a little fuzzy. But with the personnel and and everything going on, uh, why do you think the Bulls are are, are definitely destined to be coming back here? Yeah, I mean, Billy Donovan feels a lot like the the Thibodeau hire in in a lot of respects. You know, Donovan has had a, a solid record, but I thought he was pretty poor. Uh, he put up a pretty poor performance in that uh, first-round series versus uh, versus the Rockets, and was a big part of the reason why the Thunder didn't advance. You know, he he consistently played with a traditional center. He didn't put enough shooting out there. Darius Baisley, I thought, was great for most of that series, but he only got about 15 minutes a game. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, I, I I really didn't like that hire. And you know, this roster, I was actually pretty excited about what this team could be last year. Uh, and I, I guess a big part of it, could, uh, you know, as far as their success this year could be predicated on Otto Porter being healthy and, and being the guy that he was in Washington. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also I've also never been that high on Zach Levine as kind of the, the best player. Of course, he can put up great numbers, but I don't think he's ever really contributed to winning basketball. Uh, so, so, yeah, there's uh, there's. There's not a lot to like uh, outside of I, I am uh, excited to see the progression of, uh, of Kobe White and uh, his development. Oh, yes. There's some young guys. Kobe White being one that is definitely a high. I'm actually I'm still a believer in a restricted free agent Chris Dunn. Uh, whether or not I should be is is the interesting thing. But but that's where I am. But speaking of that, they have um, Zach Levine, uh, Thaddeus Young, Tomas Tadaransky, um, Cristiano Cristiano Felicio, Felicio, uh, Laurie Market and Kobe White, uh, Wendell Carter Jr., Chandler Hutchinson, Ryan Archie Danacono, um, Luke Cornett, and Daniel Garf- Gafford are all still um, under contract moving into next year um, with Otto Porter having a player option and Chris Dunn, Denzel Valentine, and Shaquille Harrison being restricted free agents. So a few of those players, um, Larry Market had a really underwhelming year. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, just uh, across the board. 
And he is someone that I still think has the potential. I don't know if Billy Donovan – actually, I do know. I don't think Billy Donovan is the person to, to tap that potential. But right. um, Markin does have it. And Zach Levine um, is someone that, you know, kind of being a player that is who he is um, at age 25 and, you know, just being a kind of a, a gunner on the offensive end um, is someone I still like. And then defensively, I think the Bulls, they were in the top half in that end. Um, they were one of the best teams in the NBA, at least in enforcing turnovers, and were actually first in league in opponents' turnover percentage and steals per game um, up to when they were out during the season. Um, and I felt like a lot of that was due to the fact that they had a, a fairly versatile roster. Like, their guys were pretty big. Um, watching a little bit of that, they were able to kind of get into the passing lanes. They struggled at defending the rim for certain, and um, – on the offensive end, it was it was one of the more inefficient units because again, one of your main guys is Zach Levine, and he he was fairly efficient this past year. But in general, just like the Knicks, the Bulls struggled to generate quality offense at an efficient rate. Yeah, another guy I'm I'm excited to see is Wendell Carter Jr. He's yes. uh, you know former number seven overall pick, a guy that um, you know. Out of college, it seemed like he was going to be this stretch big that could protect the rim and shoot threes on the other on the other end. But he really has kind of abandoned the three-point shot, hasn't taken too many in his career. So that's something I'm hoping that he, he that he adds to his game, and I think that would give the Bulls a little bit of an extra element. Uh, but he's going to be somebody to look out for. And and yeah, you know your your comments about Markinen are spot on. You know, a couple of years ago, I mean, he's he's obviously a, an incredibly talented player, and in the right system, I think he can be effective. But in, with a lot of isolation ball, with a lot of Zach Levine chucking up twenty eight footers, uh, Markinen just standing in the corner, I, I don't think that's good for him. I think he he thrives when he, when they are able to mix up his game. He gets a couple of post touches, he gets a couple of drives, he takes a couple of threes. Uh, and and yeah, I, I don't trust Billy Donovan to uh, incorporate a sophisticated offense. He hasn't done it. Uh, he didn't do it when he had Russell Westbrook. He just gave Westbrook the keys, and he didn't really do it even last year when uh, he mostly had uh, the likes of, of Chris Paul and, and SGA and, and Dennis Schroeder run run the uh, or, or take the keys on the Oklahoma City Thunder offense. I, I gotta try. I tried it already, and I tried with the Knicks. I have to go with the pun one more time, but. Garrett, is it safe to say that you're not uh, bullish on the Bulls? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I will say that uh, I do like them better than a couple of teams that I have in this tier. I don't think they're going to be terrible, but uh, I certainly would uh, would be pretty surprised if they made the playoffs in the East. I, I agree. I, I think you're right. They, they have some talent that's intriguing. Uh, I think if the defensive philosophy can can kind of maintain as far as being an active team and they can get some sort of offensive continuity, which I doubt they will under uh, Coach Donovan, then, yeah, they definitely have uh, some more talent than you would expect, uh, you know, for one of these teams down at the bottom. But speaking of one of the teams that you, you know, definitely see the Bulls as higher than, do you want to pick a team that we can kind of dive into that's on your list of there? Yeah, sure. How about the Cleveland Cavaliers? <laughs> I figured you'd even say even say that or the Charlotte Hornets. I'm ready for either. So yeah, let's let's kind of go into them because although they look okay, they are hopeless. I am like irrationally high on the Cavs in terms of their young pieces, and I know I shouldn't be. So tell me why, Garrett. Well, I mean the uh, you know they're they're paying about seventy five percent of their team salary to to Kevin Love and Andre Drummond. Uh, oh, my fault. <laughs> yep. That's- <laughs> That's a big, that's 75 big reasons right there. 
but, uh, you know, those two guys, they're going to put up counting stats. They're not really going to contribute to winning basketball. Uh, the, the guard play is obviously going to be a struggle. And, and you know, I, I'm someone that has not given up on Darius Garland yet. But Me neither. Uh, even if he even if he improves significantly, it's still going to probably he's probably going to be a below average point guard in year two. Uh, you know, you look at Colin Sexton, he certainly improved as a jump shooter, but he's also a guy that, that might be the worst passing guard in basketball. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be playing a bunch of young guys. I, I'm excited, though, to see uh, Dylan Windler, who missed all of last season, but he's a guy that in summer league, uh, his rookie year really shined as a as a, a deep shooting threat. So I'm excited to see him out there. And, uh, you know, they've um, they've got some other exciting prospects in the like of, in the likes of uh, of Kevin Porter Jr. as well. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a struggle for the Cleveland Cavaliers, given that, you know, their their veteran players are, are kind of all stats uh, type guys. And then their their youngsters are, you know, I, I still think they have potential, but it's a, it's a work in progress. Oh, yeah, for sure. And going into next season, a player still in the contract for the Cavs, Kevin Love. Larry Nance Jr., Dante Exum, Chetty Osman. You already mentioned Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, along with Dylan Windler and Kevin Porter Jr. And they still got Afonso McKinney hanging around. Um, and then their free agents. Andre Drummond is a player option that I think we all know he's most certainly going to um, pick up. Um, and then Tristan Thompson, Matthew Delvadova, and Ante Zizic are all unrestricted. And uh, I think Zizic went over to play overseas. So I think he is no longer going back to the Cavs. But in general, yeah. It doesn't I, really matter. <laughs> You're right. He's not moving the needle um, as we've seen the last couple of years with him in Cleveland. But as much as I was high on the backcourt, Colin Sexton, I think, definitely improved, at least on the offensive end. Um, he became a much more effective primary scorer option. However, you're right. He's a horrible passer. Um, and in general, the Cavs, following a similar theme with the Bulls and the Knicks, struggled to generate offense. They played rather slow, and if you watched, uh, I'm watching some of their games, their actions were very simple, which I think was to accommodate the fact that the two uh, ball handlers in both Sexton and Garland were rather inexperienced, but it was very, like, simple cutting actions. There was nothing intricate, and even with the happening, the Cavs still posted the worst um, turnover percentage this past season, and they didn't have... Um, an effective finishing uh, attempt at the rim because according to the league's tracking metrics, they were one of the worst in, in free throw attempt rates as well. So they weren't getting to the rim well. They were one of the worst teams in finishing there. They weren't a great jump shooting team, but they shot a lot of jump shots. They had a small undersized back where they could get picked away on defense continually. And yeah, you know, the more I think about it, yeah, this team is rough. <laughs> well, and, and you didn't even really bring up the defensive end, which is going to be a disaster. They're, they're going to be between probably 26 and 30 in the league on defense. You know, you talk about playing two really small guards in the backcourt, uh, not a, a recipe for success. You know, people say the the phrase, you know, um, the, the head of the snake sort of helps uh, helps things. And the, the head of the snake for the Cavs is not going to be very good. No. And then you, you, know, you talk about the back line, and, and it's funny when you compare the likes of Drummond and Love, those two guys are awful on defense for very different reasons. Kevin Love, just because he's not mobile enough, he lacks that, uh, that uh, lateral quickness. Mm-hmm. And Drummond, who has all the physical talent in the world, but uh, is just kind of uh, a bonehead and uh, will <laughs> jump out of uh, position or just uh, not hustle at times and uh, weirdly not be physical at times either. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be a struggle uh, on on really on both ends of the floor, but especially on defense for Cleveland. 
Oh, yeah. And, and and looking at Cleveland's lineup, I mean, on the defensive end, they played lines that had two small guards and two big men at the same time, which is like the worst possible matchup uh, to defend any offensive team that can both exploit mismatches on the size or the lack of mobility. And, you know, the Cavs, you mentioned the defense being horrible. They were one of the worst teams in defending shots inside of five feet. And they had one of the the, wor- the worst opponents' three-point percentage. So, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why. But mainly, their defense just sucked. And you're right. There's no clear signs of that getting better. Um, even with, you know, them in the draft, they have the fifth uh, overall pick this year. And I'm looking at, I mean, maybe James Wiseman slips down. And if so, what are you looking at the defensive end from him? I, I mean, not a whole lot to go off of, except that he seems like he has some attributes there that would prove beneficial. But you're kind of grasping at straws here to kind of improve the cap. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I was a little more excited just on paper, maybe on the 2K line, but then you actually have to work with this team. You're like, yeah, that's not gonna that's not gonna happen. But um, well, yeah, and um, you uh-huh. know, the 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 other issue you mentioned, the small guards and and the you know the big guys kind of struggling, but also you know they don't have an elite wing defender either, which is so crucial, especially in in specific matchups against your LeBrons, your Kawhis of the world. They've just got no answer for those guys. And, uh, you know, you mentioned they've got the fifth pick, but that was actually a really disappointing result as far as the lottery, because I think they had the the second best odds out of any any team in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, they they, they did clearly. And you had um, mentioned uh, not having a good wing defender. You don't believe in Chetty Osman on that? I I think they're grooming him to be the next stopper. (laughs) There's not too many people that like Chetty more than me, but, uh, yeah, I don't like him for his defense. (laughs) I'm with you on that, man. Yeah, they're. They're an interesting team in a spot. I, I'm right there with you in terms of no matter what they do, they'll be there next year. And I, that's even if they were able to move – well, that's especially if they can move Love's contract. But to be honest, I think Kevin Love's at a, at a place in his career where he doesn't move the needle that much in either direction. Like he's not going to give you like 10 more wins than you would have had. Um, and then if you leave, then you'll be just as bad as you were in my opinion. Is that too harsh for an evaluation of Kevin Love? Not at all. I mean, uh, yeah, if, if you would have said that's what Kevin Love is to me, you know, back in his uh, his prime Minnesota days, I would have said you're crazy. I thought he was a borderline top 10 player. But but yeah, now he is uh, a glorified uh, stretch four uh, that, uh, you know, does have some post skills, is a, is a good rebounder um, and, and a solid passer to boot. But uh, yeah, he's he's nowhere near the, the player he used to be. And 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 uh, as the number one guy, he's he's just not going to get you where you need to go. No, I'm right there with you. He's just a better uh, Ryan Anderson. I'm just kidding. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to run it over to um, the Charlotte Hornets because I, again, have some irrational confidence in a team that was horrible on both sides of the ball, uh, really maybe don't have the brightest feature in terms of um, young prospects. Uh, well, they really just don't. But I thought they had some good play from people they just signed that, while aren't they aren't young, they aren't exactly old. And in those young guys, obviously I'm talking about Terry Rozier and um, uh, Devontae Graham, who uh, are at 26 and 25 uh, age, age uh, respectively. What do you think about them in general? Because I think between those two, yeah, they're kind of similar in the sense of to Cleveland and, under, and undersized guards. Um, both of those guys are really small. I think they were a lot more dynamic on the offensive end. Um, I think playing Rozier at the two and 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 Sarin Graham on 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 the one helped them on that end. And defensively, they they did what they could, which wasn't a whole lot because they weren't great there. Uh, P.J. Washington, I thought, had a solid year. Miles Bridges doesn't project to be a star, but I think he'd be a serviceable player. Uh, and then going down with the uh, the twins, Cody and Caleb Martin, I thought they had their moments. Uh, Jade McDaniel's, and then obviously the 
the very disappointing Malik Monk, along with the big man uh, Cody Zeller. But looking at, at the, the Hornets, what do you see as far as why they can't improve or, or, or why more than likely it'll be the next year? Do you think that they, in a week East, can cannot really fight for a spot? Do you think they'll be just out of the seed? Do you just think other teams are, are better, like like you said, maybe the Bulls? Well, well, you said it. You know, you you used the term uh, serviceable player, and that's what I feel like their whole roster is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, um, you, you talk about Devonte Graham and uh, and Terry Rozier. I think you know if you're if you're a team competing for a championship or a you know a, a high tier playoff team, those guys are probably both like a, a sixth man type, a guard off the bench. I think would be great, but as starters, probably not ideal. Uh, that puts you more in kind of the the mediocre, uh, you know, again, I think they're going to be in the Chicago tier as opposed to like the Cleveland or New York where they're going to be decent. They're going to be respectable. They're, uh, you know, they're going to show up night to night, but uh, they just don't have that top end talent that you need to, uh, to, uh, you know, get to, to 40 to 45 wins, which you'll probably will need to get to in, in uh, 2021 in the East, because I do think the conference is, uh, is improving. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm with you on the conference. I didn't know that that would be the target. I was thinking even low 40s, but you're right. Like, there there are teams, the Nets, other teams that will be improving from there. But, yeah, it, it, I, I thought that the Hornets having, like like we both mentioned, serviceable players was both, like, a decent accomplishment and also, like, an indictment on them. Because I thought, okay, if those players play reasonably well, they'll be a solid team. You know, I don't think that translates to the bottom of, of the Eastern Conference, but at the same time, you don't have any top-end talent, like you said, to kind of carry them over um if i'm charlotte i guess i'm looking at uh shopping uh the expiring deals of cody zeller and uh, nicholas batum uh by the way cody zeller has one year left on this deal uh this is last year and then nicholas batum uh, has a player option that he's most certainly going to pick up um because yeah i i don't think that they have the appropriate timetable to sign a free agent although i'm going to toss out somebody's been tossed out a few times before i'm sure you've heard about it what do you think about the hornets possibly going for someone like a Montrezl Harrell. Well, not going for someone like a, going for Montrezl Harrell. I mean, as, in, in terms of regular season success, I think that's a good fit. You know, you talk about Devontae Graham. His best skill is that pull-up three-point shot. Uh, oftentimes will will draw two, and, and Harrell is very good on that short roll rumbling to the rim. So, yeah, I think uh, I think he would be a good fit. Uh, I, you know, you saw Harold's limitations in these past playoffs. So I don't really think this is that's a guy that necessarily, um, you know, gets you to the promised land. But, yes, in, in terms of getting you an extra five to ten wins in the regular season for a team that uh, right now, as the roster is currently constructed, I would probably project more to be around 25 to 30. Uh, you know, yeah, he would he would certainly help. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd like it. You're right. Like, I think it would be just the type of move that Charlotte would do, thinking that, hey, this roster, you know, they, they and, and Charlotte's done this a couple of years. In fact, I feel it's one of the reasons why, you know, and to negative effect, they didn't trade Kemba Walker and just commit to the full scale rebuild back then when, you know, he decided to go down to Boston and they got Terry Rozier. They feel like, hey, they're on the fringes and we just need one big piece and we'll go there. And maybe they have a little bit of that Knicks delusion and maybe thinking that they're somewhere that they're not in terms of long term team direction. Um, but I would like Montrez over there on the defensive end. I mean, I don't know that 
yikes. But offensively, that'd be interesting. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking defensively between Terry Rozier, um, Devontae Graham, and then your backline defense is, is Harold. Like, uh, okay, just give him the points and bring it up on the other end. But, like. Right, they'd be a, they certainly would be a fun team to watch because the score would be 130 to 125 every night. Exactly. And, and, you know, sometimes for me, that you know that may not be your type of game, Garrett, but that's my type of game. I'm down for it. No, I'm kidding. Well, and the, the other thing to mention, too, again, Charlotte uh, doing well in the in the lottery and, and moving up to to the number three overall pick. But and, and in a normal year, the number three overall pick would would likely net you someone really good. But uh, again, I haven't uh, I haven't really. Uh, delved into this uh, this draft class too much yet but uh, from what I've heard having the number three pick in this draft is uh, is not going to net you the the talent that you would normally expect yeah exactly I'm with you on that it'll be interesting to see where Charlotte goes especially having a pretty high spot they get someone of note whether that is a Wiseman for the big, in which case Harrow wouldn't be needed, or maybe Anthony Edwards slips down there, in which case you have a young primary shot creator, or maybe get LaMelo Ball, in which case you got a, a point guard of the future um, if you decide to move on from Devontae Graham. But they, they're definitely a team that is interesting. Um, l- let's pick another team. What team do you want to kind of dive into next on that list? I know we still have um, the Timberwolves, the Hawks. What, what, what are you looking at, the Pistons? What, what do you feel like, Garrett? <laughs> Yeah, uh, let's let's talk about uh, one of the teams that I think will actually be, um, you know, pretty competitive, but I just think they're maybe a year away, and that's the Hawks. Okay. Uh, you know, Atlanta uh, with Trey Young, obviously an incredible offensive talent. Uh, they're going to have Clint Capella, hopefully, if he stays healthy for the full season, uh, along with John Collins. It'll be interesting to see how those two mesh together and whether that four-five combo actually works, or if uh, they're going to have to figure out. Uh, and maybe ship one of those guys to to get some some better fits. But uh, they, they've got a lot of talent, but again, they're going to be playing DeAndre Hunter. They're going to be playing um, the, uh, um, oh, what's his name? from, uh, uh, from Oh, Cam Reddish? Yeah, Cam Reddish. They're, they're going to be playing those guys' heavy minutes, you would imagine. And they're, you know, again, they, they had pretty rough rookie years. I think they're going to improve. I still, you know, I, I never give up on a rookie after a single season, but, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be great next year, even if they do make some, some strides. So, you know, Atlanta, I, I do think is, uh, is a year or two away. And, you know, given this free agent class, you know, Atlanta has just a, a boatload of money this, uh, this off season at, at basically 43 million in cap space. Wow. But, uh, again, there's, there's not uh, there's not that one guy that I would look at if I'm Atlanta and say okay this is the guy that uh, I know is the perfect fit with Trey Young. Yeah, that's true. I'm not seeing that person out there. Um, I'm it's interesting in free agency. I know this has been talked about a little bit at least in the podcast I was listening to. I think if they were trying to like move that window or accelerate the development of Trey Young and the Hawks team, maybe uh, signing someone like uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope. I think would fit right in as far as having someone who's a defender could knock down threes, play his role really well, has some championship experience, obviously. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and can work alongside uh, the Hawks in that way. Um, aside from that, you're right. In the draft, it'd be interesting in terms of who they would look to select uh, and having the sixth pick, probably a, maybe a Isaac Okoro or a Devin Vassell, like maybe a three and D type of wing. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. They have tantalizing talent moving forward. But I don't think that they can escape not ending up in the bottom for one more year. I do think that they'll fight and, and, and scrap a lot more 
it'll be like maybe a Phoenix Sun situation or something where, you know, they're on the outside looking in, but not for lack of effort, just just a talent disparity and still needing one more year of uh, maturation there. But um, if you have any other thoughts on the Hawks, we can talk about them. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm, uh-huh. I do. Uh, you know, just the I think it's fascinating, the idea of, you know, do you spend your cap space in 2020 when, you know, Atlanta's going to be one of, of, I think, five teams that actually has space? Do you actually spend that money on multi-year contracts on maybe lesser players this offseason? Or do you hold that money, you know, sign a bunch of guys to one-year contracts and, and play the 2021 free agent game? But then, you know, most of the league is going to have money, so it's really going to become much more competitive. Uh, but there are those higher caliber players so it's it's going to be a fascinating game that these teams play, and uh, you know some teams are are going to bet on 2020 or 2021, and some will pass and and some will fail. That's true, and you know it's funny you mentioned that. I'm glad you did because my mindset for the Hawks was to take the ladder route that you brought up, which is basically just you know take no don't take a quick fix move. You have the cap space, you have a bunch of assets. I don't see anybody that's available outside of KCP that I think would be, let's say, quote-unquote, perfect for them. So just, like, push the chips down um, and then get a better sense of the young players that you have um, on your team and, and then a group of the free agents will be in the market so that you have a, a position where you go, hey, you know, I watched Cam Reddish and, and DeAndre Hunt, or DeAndre uh, Bembry or, and I'm looking at these guys and I'm like, hey, um, yeah, I want to upgrade here. And then, yeah, you're right. You're competing with a lot more teams, but you have to hope the development that you, the young players have taken as well as the access to just better free agents on the market will, will help you to improve because the only thing I would hate for the Hawks to do is like a short term, you know, grab a couple pieces that might help uh, a little bit, but then you have that cap space that's now clogged and those pieces are ultimately mediocre. Like they don't raise your ceiling any, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fascinating. You know, there, there are a couple of guys that I think in the short term would improve, you know, you look at a guy like Jeremy Grant, who I would imagine is going to opt out of his player option you know, if you throw a bunch of money at Jeremy Grant, whichever team overpays Jeremy Grant might get him, given that, uh, you know, Denver and that the ownership in Denver has been a little bit shy about uh, spending money in recent years. Um, you know, he certainly would help. But but, yeah, you talk about the 2021 class. I mean, is, is Jeremy Grant amongst like the top 25 to 30 guys in, in that free agent class? Yeah, you're right. He definitely takes a bit of a hit just because of the, the sheer talent that would be available. And even then, he'd only be 27 um, heading in. But, yeah, you're right. Like someone that, you know, that is intriguing. That is intriguing. I, I got to think about that one. That is that is something else. <laughs> but, um, yeah, okay, so with the Hawks there, I mean, you're right. I guess you said it's going to be interesting to see where they go. I think we were both in some sort of agreement to be – uh, definitely conservative if you have a piece that you think you can get that will, will raise your floor and give you some media benefits on the short term, then go for it. But I think both of us are saying, you know, even though there is a risk with bringing cap space into an offseason next year where everyone will have it, at least you'll have a better crop of free agents to per, to purview or not purview, but to to look over. And then you also have a uh, a better assessment of the guys that you have on your team now. Right. Yeah, I would expect uh, my guess would be that, yeah, they 
they, uh, you know, sign maybe a veteran point guard to a to a one year deal to have a backup. You know, their backup point guard situation has been disastrous the last couple of years. You know, just uh, just sign some veteran guys around this uh, this young core as kind of placeholders, and and maybe those uh, those veterans will help the the youngins develop a little bit, and and then yeah, play the the game next year, and hopefully. As, as you stated earlier, hopefully Atlanta has a decent enough season that it that it intrigues impending free agents come 2021. Yeah, and, and that's going to be interesting. I can't wait to see where they go. They're definitely an intriguing team. But um, another team I think is intriguing. I'm just kidding. It's a horrible segue. Let's talk about the Pistons. Um, okay. You know, <laughs> you see why I was going to – they're not intriguing at all in my opinion, but I was trying to trying to segue. It's still a – you've capped the hosting thing. I got to say real quick, breaking out of – breaking out for a moment the way you're able to go from one segment to the other is great i am going like into a brick wall like you know when you're driving they have those uh the sign that says dip and then you have the big old dip when you fall down that that's how my segues are segway boom and then there they are so um it's years of practice my friend you'll get it i appreciate that man (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna take it too but with the pistons um you know last couple years they've been around 500 team uh, you know, quick early exit as the AFC last couple of years. Uh, this year, I mean, the wheels fell off and they fell off early. They had Reggie Jackson. Remember, he missed most of the first half of the season. He had a stress reaction in his back. Then Blake Griffin, his season basically was ended in January due to a knee injury that required surgery. And from then, you know, credit to the Pistons, they saw the rag on the wall. They said, let's just go straight to the rebuild. So they shopped Andre Drummond. They didn't really get a great return. Um, in fact, they didn't get a great return. They got a low return that basically got them a future second-round pick and a couple of expiring contracts, and then with one of the worst records in the league. Um, in general, the team, like every team we mentioned so far, was rough in, in, in generating offensive looks. Um, their offense bogged down because once you stop their initial action, they didn't really have anything that they could go to, so their offense kind of went down. At the same time, I do think that they have some interesting decisions to make. Um I mean, they have Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose still on contract. They have Luke Kennard um, and Sekou Demboya, who had his moments last year, as well as Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas. And then free agents include Tony Snell, uh, who has a player option, so actually he'll be back. Thon Maker, um, Svi McCalliak, I think I said that right, yep. Brandon Knight, John Henson, Langston Galloway, um, Jordan McRae, and the most interesting unrestricted free agents that they have, um, Christian Wood. So looking at Detroit, and where they are, I mean, they were an average team that was racked by injury, so then they were a horrible team. A lot of those players with the big money are back, um, especially in Blake Griffin, and they're drafting seventh in the lot in the in the draft. So, like, what do you think of them now? Do you think there's any hope of them to be anything more than what they are? Um, I mean, obviously not since they're in that group of being back next year, but like, do you think they might fight to get out of it? Do you think they're definitely gonna, you know, be among the cellar dwellers? What What are your thoughts on Detroit? I mean, I think they're going to be pretty similar to what they were last year. They're they're not going to be at the very bottom. I mean, even just, you know, if you get 45 games out of Blake Griffin, I think he's good enough to, to keep you out of the very bottom. Obviously, Derrick Rose has, has had a resurgence in the last couple of years, and he's signed up for next season. Uh, so so they've got enough talent, I think, to, to be out of the very bottom, but I don't think they've got enough to, to really, truly compete for a playoff seed unless – you know, you see a resurgence from Blake Griffin and he can be a third team all NBA guy like he was a couple of years ago. But, yeah, I, I just don't see that happening at this point. And and the Christian Wood thing is is fascinating because obviously, you know, the, the Pistons aren't this great free agent destination. Uh, you mentioned their draft pick isn't uh, isn't that great. Uh, you said seventh, right? Yeah, uh, seventh in, in a, a weaker draft. 
Uh, so you're not likely to get a star there. Um, but, you know, Christian Wood, a, a very solid, young, big, really good offensive center, uh, really skilled. But then, you know, you've also got to be concerned that a team might overpay him. And if you're Detroit, you're, you're already overpaying Blake Griffin for the next couple of years. Uh, do you, uh, you know, do you overpay and, and, and uh, you know, you spend so much money to, to keep a guy who, you know, is, is, a, is a very talented young player, but I don't think is a huge difference maker. You know, if, if you're not one of the top 10 centers in the NBA, which I don't think Wood is, how much are you really impacting your team's ability to, uh, to win basketball games? That's true. And I agree with you. I think Christian Wood actually is another one I was I should have brought up in terms of going to Charlotte. But you're right. Like, while an intriguing talent, he's definitely not someone I consider a core piece. He's a very nice piece to have. But that's the thing with Detroit that um kind of piggyback on what we're talking about. They don't really have that guy. I mean, uh, depending on if you get those 45 games out of Blake Griffin, then I guess you could say that um, as he's your guy. But as far as an established one moving forward, um, you know, uh, Blake Griffin, only because of his contract – but definitely not in philosophy is going to be a, a building block for the Pistons for years to come. He's already 31, definitely has a player option in the future that he's going to definitely pick up. Um, Luke Kennard is a decent player, as well as Sek- Sekou Namboya, as far as intriguing talent. But uh, as for the current roster, I think they're kind of stuck definitely with Griffin unless they're able to absorb a contract like maybe Kevin Love. And that's with the hope that they could probably take an extra pick or two from Cleveland. But since we already just talked about them, Cleveland's in the same position, so they may not want to give up those draft picks either. Um, I think maybe a better option for them is probably just uh, moving off of an uh, expiring contract with Derrick Rose and seeing if they get a young player or a draft pick for that to help move the rebuilding process alone. And uh, maybe they can uh, move Luke Kennard because he is in the last year of his rookie contract and, you know, he can be a good shooter. And after that, I guess you're looking at young players you know, on two-way deals and stuff to kind of fill out because I don't know how you make this team competitive. Even if you bring back uh, uh, Thon McCurr, Maker, um, Thon McCurr, Brandon Knight, John Henson, Langston Galloway. Those guys were, well, not uh, Brandon Knight, but the last two, uh, Langston Galloway and, and McCulliak, they were a big reason why the Pistons were actually a pretty decent outside shooting team. But they definitely didn't help with that creation to give them anything other than those looks, and that's why they bogged down um, in the half-court offense. So, like, all of that to say, I don't know, like, I seriously don't know where Detroit can go. Like, at least with other teams we've talked about, I can kind of see a way out, except if you're in New York, that, you know, okay, this year will be rough, but next year will be bright or whatever. But with with Detroit, just from where they're drafting in a weak draft, like we talked about, the pieces that they have that can't be moved, and if they were moved, what they would get back in return. Even Derrick Rose, I don't think he fetches you, like, uh, uh, that many pieces, I think you get something similar to what you got for shipping Andre Drummond, which was a second-round pick and expiring. It's like, that, that, that's hardly uh, uh, development material. Yeah, I mean, as, as sad as this is to say, and you know me, Corbin, I'm all about the uh, the, the, the Sam Hinkie philosophy and that, yep. uh, you know, you, you don't want to be in this purgatory where you're between, you know, the the seven and the 10 seed in the, in the conference year in and year out. And that's kind of where the, this Pistons team has been for, for about a decade. Um, yep. And uh, you know, perhaps the, the way out of that is doing what, uh, what Hinky did in Philadelphia, where maybe, yeah, you, you trade Derek Rose, get whatever you can for him. Blake Griffin gets hurt like he does every year and you bottom out and, and then in a good 2021 draft, maybe you get some lottery uh, lottery night luck and and get a good pick and and go from there. But uh, yeah, it, uh, it 
the, the future as of now doesn't seem very bright for the Pistons. Yep, I got to agree with you. I have nothing more to add on them. It's un- it's unfortunate, but you're right. Some teams got to be here. They're, they may not be a, a veteran in the lottery process, but uh, they will definitely be seeing the lottery uh, next season. <laughs> so um, this is the team I'm interested in, and then I guess we can go to the team that we both kind of agree on and, you know, don't really have too much. But the Timberwolves, you think that they will be in the lottery next season. Am I too high on um, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, and why is the answer yes? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you ruined my joke because I was just going to say the short answer is yes. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Yeah, those two guys are going to be fun to watch. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, I think, is a, is a top 15 player in the NBA and, and arguably like a, a borderline top five offensive player in the NBA. That's how oh, good yeah. that guy is. I mean, his his statistical production on that it is just unbelievable. To, I mean, I think he... He took over 11 threes a game last year. I mean, and, and got near 40 percent. I mean, the guy is is absolutely incredible and also one of the best post up bigs uh, that we've seen in, in quite some time. And you know, the the biggest issue that I have with this team is is really on the wing. You know, you you talk about Josh Akogi. He's a one way guy. He's a defensive player that's yep. a hustle guy, but has really struggled to. Uh, find his way on the offensive end of the floor. And frankly, it's it's the same with uh, Jared Culver there, their uh, draft pick last year. He really struggled mightily on the offensive end, especially with the jump shot. I think he shot under 50% from the free throw line. Uh, you know, the, the wing position is, uh, is going to be a, a real struggle. You know, Malik Beasley gives them a good offensive guy at the, at the shooting guard position, but he's not somebody that you can throw on defensively to, to defend anybody of note. So that's, that's a big problem. You know, Carl Anthony Towns, I think has made slight improvements over the years, but I think he is what he is on the defensive end. He's not a game changer defensively as your, you know, rim protector, your anchor. And, and D'Angelo Russell is a, is an atrocious defender has been his whole career. So, you know, you, you put on those wings to help your defense, but they kill your offense. You take those guys off and then how are you stopping anybody? That's, that's the big conundrum with, with Minnesota. That's true. I, I think on the defensive end, I, at least I see signs of hope. Maybe not – well, definitely not with uh, Carl Lee Towns and Angel Russell. Like maybe being a more aware would be great, but there's – I mean that's been something we talked about the last couple of years. But um, with their defense, I mean I thought they – I mean they were in top five in blocks per game at certain points, at least while they were in the NBA, just in terms of defending the rim. Um, and then in – uh, opponents three-point attempts they were top five and kind of chasing shooters off the line but a lot of that was because the same guys who were so bound the offensive end Josh Okoji and uh, Jared Culver were pretty decent or, or at least uh, had some promise as on-ball defenders but you said it, it it's it's going to be a rough year I think one thing I like about this team is is the youth aside I think the oldest person on contract for them is Jake Lehman at 26 um, but that same youth and in, inexperience in, in could probably go against them because you're right that future set player isn't someone that I see right now. Um, even if you believe in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Towns on the offensive end, which is perfectly fine, on the defensive end, again, that that's a nightmare. And offensively, that's an issue too. You already mentioned it. But Minnesota tried to take off a few notes from the Houston Rockets system, um, but didn't have nearly the same level of success. Uh, I remember a, a stat I used a little bit, uh, a couple podcasts ago. Well, not a couple now. It's been a couple months. But offensively, the Timberwolves were in the top three and three-pointers taken and the bottom three and three-pointers actually converted. And it was like, Wow, like they're gunning them, but they didn't quite have the personnel to make that work. And you mentioned several guys who just were not good shooters. And 
really, I guess you would take away D'Angelo Russell and Carlton Towns, one of the better ones, and then after that, it's a who's who of who's not, you know? Right, and, you know, you talk about they've got the number one pick in the draft, so they're likely going to be playing that guy, I I would assume, big minutes, and and rookies typically, uh, even number one overall picks, oftentimes aren't great as – as uh, you know, po- you know they, they aren't positive contributors right away. So, so that's another thing to consider. And yeah, they uh, they they're just going to have some issues. You know, they they've got some talent. They I think offensively, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, the the Russell and and Towns pick and roll is going to be really really uh, really fun, really exciting. And and you know, just having Russell and uh, and Beasley out there for a full season, I think they're going to do a little bit better. You mentioned they, they struggled to shoot the three ball percentage wise. I think they'll do a little bit better this year, but they're still going to be playing a lot of young guys. And, uh, you know, they're they're going to be developing those players, playing them heavy minutes. I think, you know, in a, in a couple of years, especially if they maybe add a, a, a piece here or there through free agency, uh, maybe Minnesota gets to a point where they're a, uh, you know, a second round playoff team. Um, you know, when when Carl Anthony Towns hits his peak. But you've got to remember that even their their two stars in Russell and Towns are still in their mid-20s. Yep, that's true. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where they move in that regard. Another guy who's not in his mid-20s, but someone I'm intrigued by and wanted to ask you about. Uh, we talked about him very briefly. Malik Beasley, he'll be 24 in November. Uh, in, in his uh, career, very short, 14 games, uh, small sample size, theater to the max. But... 20 points, five rebounds, just under two assists a game, uh, a whopping 42% from three on eight attempts uh, a game, pretty much. What what do you think about Malik Beasley? Do you think that the Timberwolves re-sign him? I would imagine that he comes fairly, uh, well, not fairly cheap, but especially with the way the cap is now, that it won't be breaking the bank. But with the number one pick, they could just sign someone at 18, uh, going 19 to Anthony Edwards, who could probably bring something similar. Uh, what do you look at on the Timberwolves in, in the Malik Beasley situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Beasley. I even like uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, the other guy they got in that trade with, with Denver. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, those are two guys. And again, you mentioned the, the market is, uh, you know, with, with uh, so few teams having cap space, there's not going to be a lot of bidders for these guys. So, uh, they're they're going to be asking a lot of their agents to uh, to put some pressure on these teams uh, and uh, make these teams feel like they've they've got to up the ante as far as dollars. But I think they can get both of those guys back on reasonable deals, and I think they both can be solid rotation pieces. And and in, as far as Beasley, I think he can, especially on the offensive end, be a solid starter. You know, I I don't think he's going to shoot forty two percent. Uh, this upcoming season, but, you know, I, I think he's a high 30s three-point shooter. He's got great form. He's got good touch, uh, and uh, I think he he fits well as a guy that can move off the ball a little bit and, and space the floor around Russell and Towns. So offensively, I really like it. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's certainly got to improve on the defensive end, but but yeah, I expect them to get those guys at at, at pretty good market deals. Yeah, I agree, and I, I I love Beasley. I think he's a solid player in Denver. Obviously, they had a really uh you know stacked rotation, so freeing him up, showing what he can do on Minnesota defensively, uh definitely something to improve on. But offensively, you're right, solid stroke, repeatable, gets it off well, can definitely be a good shooter for their role, and like you mentioned, could be at a contract that you know comes uh 
at, a, at an advantage for the Timberwolves. So that's someone I'll be looking at in a team I'm highly intrigued by next year. But, yeah, I, I, I think they'll be back. They will be fun. They're another team along with the Hornets that I think can potentially be exciting. No, I was the Hornets are mine. My fault. They're another team along with the Hawks that would be uh, fun to watch. But I Absolutely. do see them there. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this last team. I'm not – I really have very little resistance to this. But uh, I have them in a different category. But – I heard you mention the Kings. I guess they fit both because I have them under the veteran, the lottery process, but um, also no matter what they do, I see them there next year. So, so what do you think about Sacramento and honestly just what they haven't done? Yeah, they, they were my toughest call. They were the team that uh, I, I, I did consider putting them in a different tier, but um, you know, considering how strong the Western Conference is going to be, and you talk, uh, you know, you, you talk about that that race to the eight seed, even in the bubble, it was absolutely crazy. And then this year we're going to get Golden State coming back into the mix. You got to expect the Warriors to be in one of the uh, the eight spots if if uh, their main cast of characters are healthy. Um, so it's it's going to be a challenge. I, I just feel like um, you know the Kings out of that out of that group that was playing for that, uh, that eight seed in the, in the West in, uh, in Orlando, uh, they're the team that I'm, I'm the least confident about, uh, that, you know, they, they've got some players that, uh, obviously are, are exciting and intriguing De'Aaron Fox and, uh, Buddy Heald came off a poor year, but I still think he's got, uh, you know, he's, he's still got potential to be a solid sharpshooter and, uh, Bogdanovich, is a guy that, uh, as a restricted free agent, I think they they made some moves at the last deadline to make sure that they had the cap space to re-sign him. And uh, you know, if you've got those three guys in the backcourt, I think you're you're in decent shape. And of course, they've got some athleticism, some guys in in the likes of Marvin Bagley in the front court uh, that uh, that can at least run the floor and 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 provide a highlight dunk every now and again. So they're they're a team that I like. I, again, I think they're going to be fun to watch. I think they're going to be you know, respectable, but uh, I just don't see them quite at the level of some of those other Western Conference teams battling it out for that uh, eight spot in the West. I agree. And I think a lot of it comes down to they have questions on Buddy Heald, who there's been reported tension between him and Coach Luke Walton. Apparently he's not returning Luke Walton's calls, which, I mean, if you know I have a boss or whatever, I'd want to call back or whatever. You know, I don't know. I don't know whether a lot of that is smoke and mirrors or legit, but the reporting seems to be pretty sound. So I have to imagine where there's smoke there is some fire. Um, at the same time, you're right. Uh, having Marvin Bagley, you know, he had an uh, injury uh, riddled year with a fractured thumb that took him out for a significant time. Uh, and then also De'Aaron Fox, who was also out uh, with a, a sprained ankle for a little bit that took him out. So that messed them up. And also, I guess it showed the lack of depth, at least in, a, in, in the form of a reliable ball handler, because they did have Corey Joseph. But once Fox was gone that quality ball handler to initiate the offense for Sacramento or the lack thereof of that ball handler for Sacramento to play like much smaller pace and, or not smaller, my mistake, slower. And I think that with that, a lot of pressure was put on Buddy Heald, even though I, I the shooting that they had was pretty solid. You have guys, like you mentioned, um, Bob Donovich, uh, Nemanja Bielitsa, Harrison Barnes. I thought that made it interesting. So I feel like there's pieces there. But, like, you're right. The fit is just weird because you have guys like Heald, Barnes, and Corey Joseph, 28, 28, and 29. You know, like, and, and Bielitz is 32. Like, they're moving in a different direction. They're still serviceable guys, but by no means am I looking at them like the second or third best guy on a on a contender. And I'm not even saying the Kings are that, but anywhere close. So, you know, they're very solid pieces, but this is for a team that is still in the youth culture in my mind. Um, And then free agents – 
you, Bogdanovich is 28 and restricted, but since they didn't trade him in the trade deadline, one would imagine that they're going to look to re-sign him. Um, Alex Lynn, Yogi Ferrell, Harry Giles, who, you know, they declined the option. Now they're going to have some uh, tough times trying to re-sign him for long term if that's what they choose to do. Uh, Jabari Parker has a player option that he's going to certainly pick up. And then, like, I mean, I don't know what you do. Uh, like, how do you how do you improve this team right now? And do you think, and this is a question I really want to ask you, Garrett, about the coaching with Luke Walton. One, I, I don't know if my opinion of Luke Walton has dropped since the Lakers experience or was he just never that great. But, like, I feel like Sacramento had some schematic issues, and I'm not even a, a game master myself when it comes to basketball strategy, but just things that I would have made, thought to, you know, make the most idea in Fox with more of a spread floor and, and such that Luke Walton didn't do. Do you think it's a poor fit with him and the personnel or just poor coaching? Like, if you could point out the single biggest issue for the Kings right now, what would that be? I mean, I think it, it starts at the top of the organization. You know, I don't trust the, the owner, Vivek Radadive. I don't trust the, <laughs> the management. Of course, there was uh, Vladi Divox has now stepped down. Um, that was a disaster. Uh, I don't expect that to improve anytime soon. And, and yeah, the, the Luke Walton situation, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of that hire to begin with, especially coming off, you know, the Kings have... Uh, two of their best years over the last decade came where they immediately fired their coach. You know, they had Mike Malone in the season where I think they were over 500 with DeMarcus Cousins healthy. Then he got hurt and they started to struggle and they fired Malone. And of course, Malone has gone on to, to be uh, a quality coach with Denver. And then uh, Dave Yeager uh, had this team fighting for a playoff spot, playing really great, entertaining basketball. Yeah. And they fire him. Uh, and, and, yeah, bring in Luke Walton. I don't think Walton did that uh, that that great of a job. And, of course, yeah, you mentioned the the issues with Buddy Heald and it, uh, you know, him coming off the bench. He, he obviously wasn't happy with that. But Bogdanovich was, was just flat out better than him. Uh, so, you know, do you play Bogdanovich and Heald together in the starting lineup and, and just kind of go a little bit smaller? That's something they could consider. But. Uh, you know, another guy that I really like, uh, a, a young player on this team, Rashawn Holmes, a guy at, uh, at yep. center that uh, actually played at uh, near where I live at uh, Bowling Green State University. I saw him play in college a couple of times. The guy is wow. a tremendous athlete. He's developed a nice little floater, um, good guy out of that short role and also a, a lob threat and, uh, you know, moves his feet well on the defensive end. So, uh, yeah, there, there's plenty to like in Sacramento. And, and you know, if De'Aaron Fox stays healthy and, and, and takes a, a leap that you would expect from a player of his caliber and, and at his age, uh, you know, this, this Kings team could be pretty respectable. Again, this was this was the hardest team for me to, to put on this uh, in this tier. Oh, yeah. No, the more you talk about it, there is a lot more nuance than I'd even imagine. Because for me, it was uh, fairly easy. But then once you started bringing it up, I'm like, yeah, you know what? You have some good points. This is actually just like an episode of Dunkin' Dynasty right now. But uh, um, <laughs> I do got to say, maybe this is breaking news. Maybe it isn't. We've been talking for almost an hour now. And uh, just uh, just over an hour ago, um, news broke that new Kings GM Monty McNair has reshaped his front office. He's hired former Hawks GM, and I'm sure someone you're familiar with, um, Wes Wilcox, as assistant general manager along with Phil Jabor as vice president of player personnel and uh, OKC's Paul Johnson as director of basketball operations. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, Wes Wilcox, the star of uh, GM school, has <laughs> been really fun to, to watch these last couple of weeks. Yep. <laughs> so that just happened uh, 
breaking news as recorded just about just over an hour ago. So maybe there is some hope yet on that end. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I think he's uh, one of their better hires they've had in recent years. So, yeah, I, uh, um, you know. Uh, the, the Kings are making the playoffs, I guess, is uh, is what we've got to come to. This. That's the conclusion we have to come to now. There we go. See, you gave a better segue than I have because that brings us to our next category. We had a glut of teams to get through, but now we're in the this might be the last time you're here for a while in regards to teams that are in the lottery this year that we do not think or anticipate them being in the future. So I'm going to let you run through yours. I have four. I don't know if we're matching up at this point or not, but uh, let, let's get your teams, Garrett, that you think, hey, you're here now, but uh, guess what? Those these dark days are almost done. We 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 aren't matching up, and 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 maybe I took this a little bit, uh, you know, um, too seriously, thinking like, oh, you know, I I'm very confident this team is going to make the playoffs because I only have one. <laughs> oh wow, I like it. Okay. Um, and you know, again, this is assuming that uh, you know, um, you these teams have. Uh, you know, expected injury luck, you know, of course, Golden State last year and, and Golden State, uh, spoiler alert, is, is the team in this tier. Uh, um, you know, Golden State last year, of course, didn't have Clay Thompson and uh, and Steph Curry missed pretty much the entire season. So obviously had uh, worse than normal injury luck in uh, in 2019-20. But if they get, uh, you know, if those guys play 60 plus games, if they get 60 plus from their three best guys in in Steph, Clay and Draymond, I don't think there's any chance this team is uh, is missing the playoffs, despite the fact that I think the rest of the roster is uh, is questionable, and they, and they certainly uh, Bob Myers and, and the Warriors staff have uh, have some work to do, to say the least. Oh yes, most definitely. They're a team that I'm glad we share that because uh, they're definitely there for me, just on the fact that their main guys are going to be returning, and those guys, at least most of them, uh, even though you know a year older and removed from injury did lead them to the NBA finals so you know until they give me reason to doubt them I had to put them there but you're right that back half of the team is is young and proven and and pretty bad if based off what we've watched um this past year and you know whether Draymond uh had some real regression or was he just kind of half cooking it up there you know this past season remains to be seen we had to see you know how Steph Curry and Klay Thompson will return and then also what are they going to do with that second uh, overall pick? Are they going to shop that for a, a, a player that can give them impact now? Or are they going to try to bite that um, or, eat, you know, take that pick, maybe get a James Wiseman or a big that they think will match up against Anthony Davis? Because if you're matching up with the cream of the crop now, you kind of want to match up in a bigger way. Um, and maybe they'll want to do that. I, I don't know where Golden State goes, but I think the core of that team is such that you, you definitely can't count them out. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to run by uh, a couple of ideas I had for what the Warriors could do okay. uh, this uh, this off season. And you know, obviously, you know, you talk about the formula that they had to to making five straight finals and, and winning three championships. You know, you you've got the the top three that we already mentioned, but then you know you had the Harrison Barnes role. You had and and obviously that became Kevin Durant the Kevin Durant role <laughs> as well. Um, but then you also had the Andre Iguodala role. Uh, so you know those are really the two big uh, holes missing from from this roster for them to truly be a championship contender. But uh, let me throw this at you and tell me what you think. So okay. Um, what if they traded Andrew Wiggins and uh, they, uh, the, the two draft picks that they have, not only the, 
the pick that they've got this year uh, from, uh, you know, that they, they own themselves. Mm-hmm. And then next year's Minnesota pick to the Boston Celtics for Gordon Hayward. Ooh, interesting. You know what? I mean, maybe he could slide into that kind of uh, Iguodala, Sean Livingston Livingston role with, like, one of those dynamic secondary playmakers, someone who can shoot, got some size, can rebound, uh, definitely fits their timeline and brings more to the table than Wiggins in terms of experience. Uh, That's interesting. I like that. And Ooh, you know, actually, the, yeah. I actually see Hayward more in the in like the Harrison Barnes role, that offensive role. And then, you know, perhaps they could throw a mid-level exception at uh, a guy like Derek Jones Jr. to to try and fill oh, the, the Iguodala wow. role. Um, I, I think that could be an interesting combination of guys, uh, and uh, it, it would be interesting to see if Boston would would uh, would would take that. Obviously, there. Uh, they're close to being a contender now, and obviously Wiggins uh, is a downgrade on Hayward. But you get a couple of big picks, and you know maybe you you recognize that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are still very young, uh, and and we can build for the next decade as opposed to trying to win in the next couple of seasons. Uh, but uh, yeah, as, as far as Golden State, you know you have a core of of Draymond, Steph, Clay, Gordon Hayward, Derek Jones Jr. And then, uh, you know, of course, you've got the um, off the bench, you've got a guy in Eric Pascal, I think, who's a who can be a solid uh, scorer at the forward spot. And then you've also got Kevon Looney as a center. Maybe you can find, uh, you know, a uh, another center for for the minimum. That's that's a solid piece. And and to me, that uh, that is getting close to being a team that I would consider a, a championship contender. Yeah. No, the more you talk about that, the more I'm really on board with that. And, and as far as Andrew Wiggins going to Boston, I actually kind of like that, too. Like, he's, a, you know, a downgrade, but he's definitely younger and fits the timetable more with Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum at only 25. You know, an older guy who's been around at this point a little bit, but can definitely slide in. And that, both of those moves that you brought up are a lot better. Because me, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm thinking you either trade the pick. Um, I was thinking maybe you trade that to Phoenix um, uh, for um, a guy like Kelly Oubre Jr., and like the 10th pick or something. Um, and then I thought maybe you would look for like a rim, uh, rebounding rim protector like they had with Andrew Boga and then Zalta Pachulia. And I was thinking somebody who wouldn't need the ball and could just kind of do garbage work, uh, be a rotational rim protector like John Henson. So I, or maybe even a three and D wing to add depth behind Clay Thompson, uh, maybe something like a Wes Matthews on the minimum or something. So those are my thoughts on that end. But yours makes sense in terms of reach, uh, in terms of raising the ceiling and playing more within a lineup that they could replicate as like a, a lesser version of the death lineup that they had. Maybe somewhere in between the 2015 iteration with uh, Harrison Barnes and the 2016 or 2017 iteration with uh, Kevin Durant. Right, and yeah, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but you know, I again, I'm I'm of the the feeling that if you've got the championship, the top tier championship talent. You go for it. You know, what's yeah. the point of of using these picks? And, and yeah, maybe maybe in uh, in five to ten years, these couple of picks you have develop into the next great nucleus. But that's a big if, whereas you know what Steph Curry is. You know what Draymond and, and Clay are right now. You know that those three guys can be the three best players on a championship team. So to me, I, I think, uh, you know, if, if it were me, handling things in Golden State, I would use the assets, the, the draft capital that they have to uh, 
to really go for it for the next couple of years and and really try to get as much out of this step window as you can. And uh, obviously, I think uh, as a as someone that has enjoyed watching Steph Curry play uh, for his whole career, you know, I, I think it would be it would be really nice if he still had a couple of uh, of uh, playoff runs left in him. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you're right. You're not moving those guys. You're definitely not moving Steph. You might as well take advantage of the window while you have it. I'm I'm totally on board with that. Um, Speaking of a window and whether they still have it or not, let's move to the San Antonio Spurs. Um, They're in my list. That here. was a hell of a transition. Thank you. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I just said, just go with it, be smooth, see what happens. Thank <laughs> you. So, like, I... <laughs> Learning from the master, y'all. Listen, I don't know. I have them in this list, and I hedge because I put them between this list and a veteran in the lottery process. Not because they have been, obviously, with 22 consecutive playoff appearances, but because I feel that they might be. But I also think that there might be some talent over on this roster. Let's just go into it. Um, First off, where do you have the Spurs since we're talking about them? Yeah, so I had it in the category of – I had – um, I had five teams in the kind of the middle category where it could go either way. If, if things go really well, uh, you know, you, you get that uh, internal development from your young players and, and have a good offseason, like uh, playoffs are possible. But, you know, things could go in the other direction and uh, you could be back in the lottery. So, yeah, I had San Antonio along with four other teams in that kind of middle tier. OK, see, and OK, that's what I think I'm at, too, because that sounds perfectly with the. I think I made that this might be the last time you're here for a while, more of a hedge type of middle ground area. And I just didn't want to have the uh, mental uh, fortitude to stick with it and change it. So (laughs) I think I'm going to stay there. But um, with the Spurs, they're weird, I thought, because I I thought that they were trying to, the last couple of years, maintain the playoff hunt. Obviously, they didn't have a a great uh, amount of elite talent. And they play a style that almost runs counter to modern, you know, analytical strategy um this year tried to do the same thing but i felt that they tried to stretch their talent um too thin uh and and then you know it just didn't work out especially on the defensive end um offensively i was intrigued because they were one of the team they were one of the league's better offensive teams they were in the upper half um, of the league in offensive efficiency um they played a lot faster than they normally did and i think a lot of that could be looked at toward dejon murray dejounte murray because he was really good at getting the ball out in transition and then from there their half court game was surprisingly solid because they have two guys who live to play in the half court in LaMarcus Aldridge and um and um DeMar DeRozan and it was either a post up for LaMarcus Aldridge you had pick and roll uh with DeMar DeRozan and and Aldridge as well and they stretched out you know already being a pretty good mid-range shooting team with those two mid-range savants they try to stretch out a little bit by having Aldridge take more threes to open up the court but it was weird because it didn't quite have the impact that it might have had because although Aldridge took more threes than he had before, DeMar DeRozan took less. And so, you know, you had some three-point shooting, you know, from other guys, Bryn Forbes, uh, Derek White, but then you had guys who didn't really take the three a whole lot, um, like DeJounte Murray. And it was just a weird team on that offensive end, but they were efficient there. I think on the defensive end is where they really suffered and ultimately why they were on the outside looking in. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. You mentioned LaMarcus Aldridge upped his three-point shooting last season, and it's been a struggle with him and, and, and Jakob Pertl, who and, and Pertl also is a is a restricted free agent, so that's something to keep an eye out on and, and how much he gets paid and, and whether San Antonio is willing to uh, 
to to pony up and and wants to keep him. I know Popovich hates him for whatever reason, but uh, <laughs> you know I think the the Aldridge Pirtle front line can work, especially if Aldridge is a little bit more of that stretch four. Uh, and especially also, you know, we saw in the bubble Derek White shooting more from downtown. So uh, you could even see combinations like uh, Murray and White together that I think haven't worked in the past because of lack of spacing. But, you know, you also talk about there, there's so many question marks with this team. But DeRozan also with a with a player option, he might opt out and, and go elsewhere. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, De, if DeRozan is out of the picture, if Aldridge is shooting more threes, if Derek White is shooting more threes, all of a sudden you can put out lineups that that include Pirtle and DeJounte Murray and Derek White and, and Aldridge with good size at the four that I think could be very, very solid defensively while still having enough uh, enough spacing on the offensive end. I mean, you breaking it down that way does make it interesting. Cause they have intriguing pieces, and you're right. The fact that they didn't play White and Murray together, uh, and you're right, maybe there's some sort of vendetta. Bottom line, <laughs> the Spurs just didn't put out optimal lineups to take advantage of the personnel that they had. And so I think, I mean, if I were the Spurs, I think that with Pop at the helm, they're going to be in the middle. Because I don't think Pop is, you know, trying to take over a rebuilding team. This is funny, I was actually watching... Um, uh, 19. I was telling you. I think I texted you about this. I was watching a 97 uh, Spurs uh, Warriors game or something, and it was the last. It was the last time before you know they got Tim Duncan and um, David Robinson was out, and R.C. Buford and uh, Greg Popovich were on the coaching staff. Or yeah, I think they were. This was the last year for Buford, if I remember. And they were talking about how, oh yeah, you know these Spurs are bad. They probably shouldn't even made the trip over here, like just casually. And I was <laughs> like, oh wow. But with Pop there. I want to think that they're going to take win-now moves, but what my brain is saying, and I think you would agree, is just t- start right now. You know, a lot of it depends on DeMar DeRozan because if he opts out, the Spurs have some cap space to work with, but if he, you know, decides to opt in on that, then they'll essentially be over the cap. But with players like Aldridge, like Rudy Gay, like Patty Mills, you know, if San is willing to sell them off, you know, either during this uh, – free agency period at the trade deadline those pieces are still solid pieces for a contender uh, i think all three can make an impact and then if derozan opts in then you have a, a pretty good trade chip and maybe you could finally make that trade to orlando that's been talked about for so long i i think that in my mind with the pieces that they have they can kind of go either way but i would lean more rebuild just because of the youth of the pieces that you can build around you know Derek white being the oldest at 26 um, DeJounte Murray at 24, Lonnie Walker at 22, uh, Trey Lyles at 25, and then Keldon Johnson and others at 21 and, 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 and younger. Um, and then guys like Lamarcus Aldridge at 35, Rudy Gay at 34, Patty Mills at 32, and then um, DeMar DeRozan at 31. Like those guys, you know, just, just from basic roster construction makes sense on a team that is looking to win it all or at least get in the hunt. Yeah, I mean, as a as a neutral, I, I almost want DeMar DeRozan to opt out and go elsewhere because, yeah, I, I want to see the likes of, of Lonnie Walker and, and Keldon Johnson get minutes. And, and the Spurs also have one of the highest draft picks they've had in, in quite some time at number 11. So I imagine they'll find some European gem at that pick uh, to, to help out with this core as well. Right. Uh, but uh yeah, I, I think they're they're very interesting. Again, I don't see like a, a top end talent amongst their young core, but I see a lot of quality players and 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 yeah, there is that question mark, you know, you've got an aging coach in Popovich and for years it's felt like, yeah, they've just refused to turn the page and 
and start a youth movement, uh, and, and they're just clinging to, to being the eighth seed. But I actually think they can do both. I think they can actually start this youth movement, play their young players, and still compete at a decently high level. Uh, you know, maybe the playoffs will be out of reach, especially given how competitive the West will be. But uh, I think that will help the Spurs in the long run if they get the, these young players experience. I mean, I yeah, I think you're right. It's possible. I just I guess for me, it's not about like I definitely think that they have the personnel to do that. You know, you have intriguing guys. I just feel like with pop at the helm that they won't. But I don't know. Even let's say everyone plays at, at their optimal level. What is that? You know, is that is that fighting for the eighth seed? You know, uh, do we think that they can go as high as a uh, fifth or sixth? I definitely wouldn't put them any higher than that. You know, like uh, even playing at the best that th- they can play, you know, where does that land San Antonio? And I guess that's why I'm leaning now more toward them going into uh, a rebuild because, you know, their best punch, I, I don't think it is is good enough anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think, again, I think they can be – you know, a, a pretty middle of the road on both ends of the floor, you know, maybe maybe be slightly above average on both ends of the floor. I think they've got the talent to, you know, could they be 12th on offense and 12th on defense and get to 45 wins? I think that's possible. Will that be enough in the West? I don't know. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I like, again, I, I like the young talent. I like what they have. And, and I've always been a, a big fan of LaMarcus Aldridge. And I think his his ability to, to stretch out to three is going to help him continue to be a productive offensive player into his uh, into his mid-30s. Oh, yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see where they go moving forward. But Aldridge's development by shooting those threes, I think, adds on another couple of years because now he's someone who, you know, still has a pretty good post game, uh, still a decent rebounder. But now on the offensive end, provides some added value as a stretch five you know, potentially um, on the defensive end, still yikes, but you know, someone who is, uh, who is pretty good in size value. So well, that's, that's where I think playing alongside Pirtle with that added rim protection, I think would, would benefit Aldridge. And again, I think uh, we, we've seen it throughout the years when you play with the added size, we saw it with the Lakers winning the championship, that added size, especially in the regular season helps you be a, a solid defensive team, even if some of those guys have some limitations. Ah, uh, I'm with you on that. That's true. And Pirtle, I mean, he's someone who came through strong uh, with the um, with the Spurs, I think, just personal development-wise. Because at first, I definitely saw him as someone who was a throw-in, but he's been really good. Well, and do you, do you, uh, can you imagine anybody else putting a big money offer for Pirtle? Uh, I don't really see it in this market, uh, again, especially considering how uh, you can get centers for uh, a quality center for uh, for the minimum essentially in 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 uh, in this day and age so i think the spurs should be able to retain him for uh for a cheap contract assuming assuming he he wants to come back although he is he is restricted so the spurs have control yeah i mean so you're saying like should like as far as in in regards to re-signing him i think that's definite right no, I mean, do you see anybody, anybody, any of these teams with cap space putting an offer out for for Pirtle? Do you see anybody oh. expressing interest in in him? Uh, ooh, that's a good one. What do you? Th- I would say a team like the Hawks, but they already have, you know, uh, they already have a Clint Capella for that express purpose. Uh, maybe the Bulls, but like I don't like teams that have the cap space. I just the Pistons. I don't know. Um, I can't think of one offhand that I think he would 
I think the team will consider him a good fit. Like, I think with the type of uh, value that he provides in the defensive end and, and someone who's not a, a horrible finisher, I think he would be good on a number of teams. But the Knicks, that that, that would be too smart for them. Um, the Bulls, possibly. <laughs> um, well, the they got Hawks, Mitchell Robinson, so, who huh? I'm sure they, they've, got a, they've got a lot invested in, in Mitchell Robinson. Uh, yeah, you, on the one hand, I say to that you're totally right, Garrett. On the other hand, this is the same team that signed 15 power forwards last year, so <laughs> I feel like I don't know. But like the the a team that I think would be cool would be the Cavs. Well, yeah, I mean as, I as the backup to... center to to spend more money with well, and the, and the Cavs also have Tristan Thompson up for free agency. So do they do they so they they probably let Thompson walk and and bring I... in Fertile instead. Uh, but yeah. you still got Andre Drummond there and and Larry Nance Jr. You know what? Yeah, you're right. When you nail it all down, and then the Hornets already have Cody Zeller still uh, and other guys in PJ Washington playing a bigger position. I, I don't see it. Maybe. Uh, the I, guess Suns the, don't the team, the, I think the team would be Detroit if if Christian Wood goes somewhere else. If he signs a big deal elsewhere, maybe Detroit would have a vacancy at that center spot. Mm, that would make sense. Yeah, you're right. That would be a big spot that they could fill for sure. Um, and someone who would just do his job and, you know, clear some bo- – yeah, I guess that, that's the only one I've come into me looking at this list of teams that would make sense. You know what I mean? Timberwolves, I like Nas Reed as a big behind um, cat – and then, yeah, I guess it would have to be them. That's something to look at for the Pistons. So, aside from that, though, I think it's pretty high that the Spurs just make sure they bring him back. He's and I think they'll get him, that. I mean, based on based on the, the limited uh, amount of teams that uh, we just talked about that might show interest, I think they're going to be able to get him on a, on a pretty good deal. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's nice. I, I He's someone who's developed, you know, rapidly in my opinion he was already uh, i guess a decent big in toronto but really liked what he's done in san antonio um speaking of things i've also really liked how about the suns in the bubble uh going eight and zero? Oh, let's talk about phoenix and you know what these transitions are hit or miss but i've already had uh, garrett on for over an hour i'm trying to i'm trying to help along and not and not kill us in a three-hour one because trust you guys we can do this literally all day i'm sure <laughs> but talking about the phoenix suns they're a team I'm interested. I have them in the middle of the pack, but oh no, I have them in a team that I don't see coming back here. I think that the talent that they had and a lot of that in that eight and zero bubble was playing teams that were selectively resting and and you know also uh, I I think um, some of it was just matchup based. But you also had a game winner over the Clippers. They played them tough. I think every game they played, they're competitive. I watched, you know, I was writing um, at the time on Phoenix. So I watched every game and I liked what I saw in terms of what they put out there. Um, and that was without having the services of Aaron Baines or Kelly Oubre Jr. in the bubble as well. Uh, Mikel Bridges played just tremendous over there. Cameron Johnson shot the lights out from three. Devin Booker was averaging 30 points and six assists. DeAndre Ayton was taking three-pointers. Like, the Suns played really well. And a lot of what I saw in the bubble, I think, is sustainable. And they have some cap face I think they can kind of mess around with. And they have a pretty decent pick. Um at number 10 in terms of being able to draft for a position of need. So all of that being said, I like Phoenix. I think a lot of them, a lot of their troubles were, you know, kind of injury related. You had that unfortunate suspension for DeAndre Ayton. That was a problem. I mean, ultimately, I'm not saying that they're going to attack for like a top six seed in the West or anything, but I definitely think they're a team that could have fought and really scrapped to have snapped the playoff streak this year. And I'm looking for them to do it next year. Yeah, this team is is gonna, is is really fascinating. They've got one of the more interesting off seasons, 
and you know the the play in the bubble obviously uh, is is very promising and you know Devin Booker is is looking more and more like that franchise guy and you know we could be talking next year Corbin about Devin Booker being a, you know a borderline top 10 player in the NBA like would would that shock you if that uh, if if that's what we're discussing at this time next year you know what's funny? I, if you would have told me this a couple months ago, like before Orlando, I would have said absolutely. But now, not so much. I really can see it. You're right. With his increased defensive awareness, what he brings on the offensive end, and also, you know, not only just changing the, the, the trend that his that is, uh, stats were empty, but also by, like, when you watch him seeing the impact he has on the teams, yeah, I'm with you. Like, it's fairly possible. I mean, who's 10th right now? Jimmy Butler, maybe? I think I had Paul George. Yeah. Um, for a little bit of time, and then before that, I uh, had KCP. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right. He could definitely, he could definitely make it there. And especially since I, I want to say all season, you know, the Phoenix Suns led the entire NBA in assists per game. Wow. Yeah, I, I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna read the top ten because I don't think I, the, a lot of these surprised me. Um, but they had 27 assist tonight. Number one was the Suns. Number two was the Grizzlies. Number three were the Pelicans. Then the Nuggets. Then the Bucks. Then the Heat. Then the Pacers. Then the 76ers, the Warriors, and the Lakers. Yeah, I guess, you know, the, the more I think about it, just just Booker and Rubio alone uh, <laughs> provide uh, probably half of those or more of that of that 27 assists per game. Um, and, and then, yeah, they got solid passing production from the likes of, uh, of Dario Saric off the bench. So, yeah, I mean, the, the more I think about it, it's not as surprising. But, yeah, it, it goes to show you that this team is a little bit more versatile and, and uh, you know, skilled than, than you would expect. And one thing I wanted to mention about this young core that I really like is, is the versatility and, and sort of the combination of talent that they have at the wing positions. You know, Cameron Johnson, uh, an unbelievable shooter. Mikhail Bridges in the bubble was showed that he is an absolutely ferocious defensive player. And then you've got <laughs> Kelly Oubre, who didn't play in Orlando, but is a guy that is is more of that slasher type. So they've got it. They've got different skill sets amongst their wing players that I think is is really valuable. And, and I think they all could play in, in different combinations and, and play well together. Yeah, I agree. The, those wing players, they make, they allowed the Suns at various points in the season to go small and still be devastating um, on a defensive end. Although they were still below average, they definitely tried a lot more. They were active on the offensive end. There was an immense amount of versatility. Uh, they had lines where it was, you know, uh, Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, and then you had uh, Kelly Oubre and Mikel Bridges, and you could have Cam Johnson. Or, you know, take out one of those two wings and insert DeAndre Ayton and bring in a little more size and still have a, a mobile unit. The Suns, especially, and this is something I also like, the coaching that was done by Monty Williams. I think not only are you instilling a positive culture in a, in a team that really hasn't had one for a number of years, but the players bought in. And you could see the improvement uh, just before your eyes. Uh, you had the defensive uh, line that came off the bench. I loved the addition in the bubble of Cameron Payne, uh, I think him along with Javon Carter really set the tone uh, for the bench unit for Phoenix where they would, you know, scrap and grind and, you know, run in transition and, and really muck up the game and, and keep that energy and even raise it up for the Phoenix Suns starters. And honestly, I think that's something I'm looking at because 
for their offseason, you know, they 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 have a nice pick. You have players that are intriguing. We already talked about their wings, which I'm also really high on. Um, they made really positive strides, and you have legitimate, interesting pieces in Booker, Aiden, and Bridges to build around. But you also have, uh, at least in, in, in free agents to look at, uh, Aaron Baines, who was a big help for Phoenix early in the year before going down injured at yep. 34. He's unrestricted. Uh, Javon Carter and Dario Sarge are two interesting restricted free agents. And then you have team options on Frank Kaminsky and Chuck Diallo. And although Kaminsky had his moments and Chuck Diallo had a few less of them, those were intriguing players as well. So, like, what do you think about those moving forward? Um, if I was, you know, in the front office of Phoenix, I think Baines and Carter kind of have to come back. Even though Baines is older, I think he did a tremendous job, you know, in the wake of Aiton's uh, absence. Yeah, I, I completely agree on Baines. And and with Carter, I actually have a, a different thought. Uh, and, and there's actually, you know, you sent me the... Uh, the guide for some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. There's a question later on that uh, we'll, we'll come back and talk more Phoenix uh, <laughs> a little bit later. But uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, Baines is huge, especially, you know, with um, with Aiton's suspension last year, he came in and, and served as a, uh, a solid starting big. His, his improvement from three is, uh, has been a, a big boost to, to his, overall play and of course he provides that that energy that hustle that just uh, uh burly man strength <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. uh, you know I, I certainly think they, they've got to bring Baines back and I think they can do it relatively cheaply um and uh you know the the other thing you know I, I was talking about the wings a little bit earlier the other thing I think goes underrated with those guys especially Ubre and, and Bridges is their cutting ability I think with with Rubio and and Booker, those guys are, are such good passers. Um, those those wings on the Suns have, have done a really good job of knowing when it's time to cut, when their defenders are ball watching, uh, when they can sneak in and, and get some easy hoops. So that's something they've done really well. Uh, the, the the big thing for me and the, the kind of the, the swinging point for whether the Suns are going to be competing for the playoffs next season or they're going to be just back in the, the lottery once again is uh, does DeAndre Ayton take another leap defensively? I think he has to if this team wants to. He's probably got to take a couple of leaps over the next couple of years, but certainly he's got to take another leap on that end of the floor and really start to become a a dominant presence around the rim. And if he can do that, uh, this team's uh, upside goes to to another level. Yeah, I agree. A lot of that's going to start with those two pillars, especially, like you said, with Aiden and where he goes. And this is something I had uh, about Baines. If the Suns don't bring back Baines, I would like them, and I think that they should. But if they don't, they have the money. I think I would like them to take a look at a guy like Christian Wood. He's younger, you know, another guy who can bring some stretch from that big position. Um, I think that'd be cool. Or reuniting with Derrick Jones Jr. I think that, you know, those improvements from those players incrementally on both sides of the ball while also still allowing the Suns' uh, young players to continue growing. Yeah. Um, again, without spoiling what I have oh, <laughs> set up right. later, uh, <laughs> I, I would like them to spend their money elsewhere, but uh, we'll get to that in a bit. Yep. Let's just keep right on moving. You're right. So, um, Real quick, let's discuss the last uh, two teams we have here, uh, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. We can kind of take them both together. Uh, They both were interesting. They were kind of tied together from the jump with Rookie of the Year with John Morant and Zion Williamson and what was going to happen there. Um, Where did you have the Pelicans and Grizzlies respectively? I have them both at um, 
not being the lottery for long just because I'm a big fan of the Pelicans front office and the Grizzlies young talent. Yeah, I mean, both of those teams, I, I certainly have them at the at the top end of the kind of the middle tier that I had where it could go either way. I think both of these teams are going to be competing for the playoffs, but uh, I could very easily see, like this year, um, them coming up just a bit short because of how competitive that Western Conference is. Again, I think it's going to take upwards of maybe 47 to 48 wins to get in as an eight <laughs> as the eighth seed. So it's it's a tough task, and especially considering how many young guys both of those teams are going to be playing on a night-to-night basis. And we've seen it before. We even saw it again with Sacramento last year, where you've got a young nucleus. They had this great run two years ago, and then they kind of come back to earth a little bit. It wouldn't shock me if both both Memphis and New Orleans came back down to earth just a tad before maybe in, in two or three years really starting their ascension. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, both of them have – I guess it kind of goes either way with both. Like, I mean, I, I think more in that way toward Memphis just because I, I'm really high on the Pelicans, man. Like, I can't say enough of what I thought they could have done and, you know, it didn't all come together. And I thought that maybe Alvin Gentry took um, an unfortunate amount of the blame even though, like, some of it, you know, you could definitely put on his head. Um, But both those teams, I, I, I guess you're right. Like, if the Grizzlies want to further retool, they can do that. But – I would put them right there with you in terms of being in the upper um, echelon of fighting for a playoff spot. The only problem is that, like the Grizzlies, I mean, do you look at how they choked away the spot they had as a learning experience or, or a sign that they're not ready yet? Well, I look at that as Jaron Jackson got hurt. <laughs> oh, entirely? Because I feel like there was something. But do you put that all entirely on that? Because I thought there was something even before that. Like, once that happened, that was the icing on the cake for me. But I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I would say that was a big part of it. I think, you know, the, the Grizzlies, um, you know, don't have the greatest spacing on their roster, and Jaron Jackson provided an enormous amount of that, shooting a ton of threes as a as a small ball five. So his absence killed their offense. But also, you know, the trade at the deadline, getting rid of, you know, a rotation player in Jay Crowder, who, you know, he didn't he didn't shoot well from three while he was in Memphis, but he's a serviceable player, even if he isn't shooting well. Um, and, and then bringing in a guy like Justice Winslow, who I think they're very they're obviously very high on because they took on some some bad contracts to get him. Uh, but to just get nothing then from from Winslow because of injuries. Uh, yeah, I think it really came down to, to really those two things, losing Crowder and not getting anybody really to replace his minutes, and then also that, that uh, uh, JJJ injury as well in the bubble. I think you're right. I do forget how bad that loss of Crowder was, even though the dude waited until he got to Miami to go from 29% from three to like 44% up through the third, uh, second round of the playoffs for Miami. Like The dude wasn't shooting the best from there, but having someone who could, you know, play a solid swingman position, bring that leadership. I guess you're right. That was an understated loss for the Grizzlies. But are you, and this is my last question on these two, are you higher on the Grizzlies or the Pelicans moving forward? I I would say I'm higher on the Pelicans, uh, not only because I'm higher on their, uh, you know, their top two in Zion and, and Brandon Ingram than I am on, on John, Jaron Jackson Jr., although I think that's closer than a lot of people would, would say. Um, I, I do like what what New Orleans has as far as some other young talent, as well as a stockpile of draft picks moving forward from trading Anthony Davis. So if I had to pick 
which one of the two do I feel has a has a brighter future, uh, I would go with the, with the Pelicans. I would have to agree with you for most of the reasons that you stated, but yeah, I think moving forward, they're they're better set in terms of more of a solid plan to succeed. And yeah, a lot of that is the stable of, of draft picks and young players that they got, but also, you know, having hope in some of those guys to rapidly develop. And, you know, if they get Brandon Ingram, then they definitely cement that for me. Yeah. And uh, one other team I had in this tier that we didn't mention yet, which we don't, we don't have to talk a lot about, but uh, uh, the Washington oh, Wizards. Oh my gosh. They were so forgettable. I forgot about them already. <laughs> Let's talk about them. But, uh, you know, they're, they're another team that I think is kind of in that, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the sort of the purgatory of being between the seventh and tenth seed in the Eastern Conference. I think if, mm-hmm. if John Wall comes back, I don't expect him to be the John Wall that we knew, but he certainly is going to be an upgrade, I would imagine, over what they've had at that position. Um, and, and him and Beal, I think the, the two of them can, can get them to competing for the playoffs but, uh, yeah, it, I, I don't necessarily love their future. They're a team that I think uh, should probably figure out uh, what they're going to do. And, and, and I would advise trading Bradley Beal and getting what you can for him while you can before he, he leaves in a few years for, for nothing. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think that it's time to blow that up. Unfortunately, Bradley Beal has been a great piece for them. But, you know, see what you have in some young guys. Is Rui Hachimura kind of a, a low-ceiling player, or do you think that he's a piece that you can start to build around? Um, what about Troy Brown Jr.? Kind of what's going on there, and, and, and make your decisions based off of that. But getting off of Bradley Beal at least give you some assets, maybe a, a couple picks and maybe a young player or two. Um, John Wall I put in the same Kevin Love, Blake Griffin boat of, you know, bloated contract, good luck trying to move it. But um, they can see what they can do there. And, yeah, I think aside from that, um, just bargain hunt. Look for some minimum contracts to try to improve the team around the edges and see what's going to happen because that John Wall Supermax contract is a considerable restraint and they don't really have a lot of room to work with. So maybe they can see uh, what's going on there. I mean, they could try to re-sign Davis Bertans. Uh, They have early bird rights on him, but he may have priced himself out of the range because of the way he played. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but I think that – they're definitely stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I, I don't know how I miss them on uh, where they'll be next year, but I think whether or not Bill's there, I know where they'll be. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, um, John Wall, that contract you mentioned is, is just so tough because yes, it, it really, I think will prevent Washington from be a, being able to move him. But then also if he's there, he's likely, if he's healthy, he's going to play and he probably keeps you from being at the very bottom, which gets you the draft picks that you need to, to build the next great wizards team. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's a tough predicament in Washington. Yeah. They, they're, they're definitely going to be looking at a, uh drafting 10th uh, for the next couple of years. They are a team we can consider that has the brightest future. <laughs> ding, ding, transition time. Speaking of that, let's uh, let's do some uh, team superlatives, Garrett. Let's go into uh, a couple. We, we put, I put together four, uh, random by you, and we're going to go real quick with uh, we're just four of them. What team of the ones we talked about do you think, moving forward, has the brightest future? It's tough to pick just one, but again, I, I think we, if, if I have to go with just one, it, oh, it would be... Oh, give me more. It's fine. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I listed four. I had okay. the, the, the Pelicans, the Suns, the Grizzlies, and the Hawks out of these, uh, out of these playoff teams. And, and I'm thinking more not just 
Uh, I didn't put Golden State in here because I'm not thinking about like this year as far yeah. as the future. I'm thinking the next five to ten years. Um, but uh, you know, if if I had to pick just one, it would it would be New Orleans again. They've got the top tier talent. Uh, you know, as long as Zion continues to improve and and stay healthy, I would project him to be a top ten player at some point. Um, and you know, Brandon Ingram is already, I would say, a, a top thirty guy in the league. So they've got the top end talent. They've got some young supporting role players as well that are solid, and they've got that stockpile of draft picks. And and I trust David Griffin as uh, as general manager to continue to make the right moves. I agree with that. Um, I had the Pelicans and the Suns up there as well. Um, Pelicans, like you said, that front office. I'm really high on David Griffin, and I love the talent around them. the Suns. Kind of the same thing. James Jones, I mean, he has a type in terms of who he likes to draft and acquire, but so far, so good. Monty Williams been a great coach, and the Suns have shown some signs of of positive success or positive attributes that can be replicated. So I'm looking at them. I also did have the Hawks as well, and then I really wanted to put the Timberwolves. I don't know why. I always have to put some of the rational answer up there. That's why. But I decided not to, and I'm glad that I didn't. But um, those teams are right there with you in terms of teams that – are only looking up uh, and, and can continue to get brighter. Now we get a little negative. Let's look at teams with no way out. And with that, I mean at least fast. So anytime in a lot in the next couple of years, you think that, hey, just whether it's moves they made this year, moves we think that are going to make, they're going to be stuck in the rut of the league for, for a hot minute. So I had four teams here. Um, I had the, the Knicks, the Cavs, yeah. the Pistons, and the Wizards. Oh, wow. Okay. Um. I'm trying to see which team I would which, – okay, which team do you feel the least strongest about? Because I think we both would pick the Knicks for being just stuck no way out and fast unless we consider R.J. Barrett and uh, Mitchell Robinson and turn to some Stockton-Malone hybrid. I mean, frankly, I think it might be Washington because of what I said earlier. You know, I think the Knicks still have the ability to kind of bottom out and, and get a good draft pick next year. Whereas I don't really see that for Washington unless they get really lucky on lottery night. But I don't expect the Wizards to have one of the six worst records in the NBA because of, you know, Beal and Wall. And again, given Wall's contract, uh, there's no way out. There's no real, real easy path to bottom out. So, again, thinking more in the perspective of how can these teams not only get out of the lottery but get to championship level – I would say it's maybe the Wizards that are in the, the toughest situation. Yeah, I agree. That, that, that The fast track to development without any young studs that you look at and go, okay, that's a foundational piece. And with two of their best players also being two that you'd like to move. Um, yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Um, speaking of that, let's go to teams that should blow up their core. I would imagine Washington's on that list, but uh, if, if, if so, or even if not, what other teams do you have there, Garrett? Yeah, I, I would put Washington on both lists. Yeah, teams <laughs> would go way go. out and that should blow up their core. Um, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I also had uh, I had Charlotte, Chicago, and uh, and Minnesota in this group. Wow. Okay. I like that. I had um I had Washington. I had Charlotte, and then I I was gonna be spicy and put Golden State. But I decided not to, and then I settled for uh, Sacramento because I feel like the guys that they have stationed so far, um, aside from Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox, just got to go. But um, what do you think is with Minnesota? You just, from the get-go, you're not going to try out the Carl Anthony Towns, or Russell combo. 
I just I, I think they're going to be fun to watch. I don't think it's going to translate to big time success as far as wins and losses and and also playoff success. Uh, I, I just don't think those two as your best players are, are going to be good enough on the defensive end to get you where you need to go. I think at, to be a championship level team, to even really be like a conference finalist caliber team, you've got to be pretty much top 10 on both ends of the floor. And uh, I just don't see how Minnesota can get to uh, get to that. And, and I also don't see, you know, I think the NBA is so reliant on, you know, success is so reliant on having quality wing play. And as of now, the Timberwolves don't have any wings that I, I would. And when I say wings, I'm talking guys that can play the three and the four. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's nobody at those spots that I go, OK, slot him in for the next five years. We're good. That's true. I'd agree. You're right. It's, it's, it's not one that stands out and is that foundational building block off the top that you look at and go, okay, yeah, let's work with that one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a shame, but it is what it is there. Um, and then last but not least, teams that should sit back and make only minor moves. They're talking on the margins, you know, playing it cool, not rocking the boat too much. Uh, what do you got, Garrett? So I got three teams here, and that's the uh, the Golden State Warriors. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I did mention some big moves, but I – but, you know, I, I, I want them to keep their top three guys. So I, I consider those more minor moves on the fringes of their rotation. Um, but uh, also San Antonio and Sacramento I had here. And the big reason with that is, like, I, I like both of these teams, young core, and, and I still would, uh, I feel like if I'm the, if I was in a management position at either of those teams, I would want to see a little bit more of what I have uh, with, my, uh, with my young talent especially, you know, what level does De'Aaron Fox get to in Sacramento? You know, is he a foundational piece or is he a secondary or even a third option on a championship team? You know, I still feel like they have to wait and see on that. In San Antonio, I mentioned they've got a ton of of, of young talent that I like. I don't think any of them are, you know, super upper echelon guys, but I would like to see what, uh, you know, what White and Murray can do together in the backcourt. You know, if if Pirtle can be a foundational piece as the starting center, uh, you know, I I, uh, I find all three of those teams interesting in terms of I want to see what they what they're going to do. I think they're going to be decent and uh, they can they can make some moves on the fringes to improve. But let's see what they have. You know what? I'm glad you said that. I, of course, I disagreed only with the Spurs and the Kings, because I was like, okay, we've seen it, I'm done. Although I, I agree with you in that I wish we had seen more from uh, DeJounte Murray and Derek White, but I was willing to write that off. No, I'm just kidding. Both those guys would have been there on my team, but I was definitely thinking more of, like, offloading some of the vets. But now that you bring it up, the, both of those rosters are intriguing enough in terms of roster construction and the players that they have that they could form a competitive team at the very least. And so, you know, maybe I've come around a little bit on that. So uh, I'm going to move mine. I'm agree with you. Uh Sit back. Definitely the Warriors. They were up there for me. Like you said, you had made moves to fix around the margins, but the core of that team would have remained intact. All right, so Garrett, I've had you on for almost two hours. Crazy now. So I had wrote in the in the um, document I sent you, I want to do a what would you do for five teams. I said three teams. I brought five teams. I'm only going to have you pick one team. Um, of the Timberwolves, the Wizards, the Hornets, the Spurs, the Pelicans. Um, let's just remove the Spurs since we already kind of talked about them. Actually, let's do like, okay, between the Wizards, the Hornets, and Pelicans, what would you do? Um, 
just pick a team that you would say, okay, this is a brief battle plan I'd outline to, like, move forward with. Because with the Wizards and Hornets and Pelicans, I think they're interesting in terms of you could make some moves around, like, Lonzo Ball or, you know, blowing up the Hornets' core or making a trade for the Wizards, or you could just kind of kind of pick around. What would you do for one of them? So, so yeah, I, I um, let's, let's talk Pelicans because I Sounds find that the most interesting out of any of those teams. Um, for one, you know, the, they've got a big decision with, with Derek Favors and whether to bring him back. Uh, if they can get him on a, on a reasonable deal, I say why not. But if I'm, if I'm New Orleans, I'm starting Jackson Hayes this year. You know, I'm not taking the we-need-to-make-the-playoffs-this-season um, approach. I'm thinking for the long run, let's see what we have in Jackson Hayes. Let's get him some experience, and hopefully he can improve through that uh, and see what we have there. Um, and, and yeah, the, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, uh, an offensive system that, uh, revolves around Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. I, I think those guys are a great combination of offensive players and, and Zion might be the, the, uh, you know, the, the rare star that can, that can be kind of low volume, but really high efficiency and, and still put up great numbers despite not, you know, just holding the ball a lot. Because, uh, yeah. you know, he, he's just such a great athlete. He can play off the ball. He can get on the offensive glass. He can be a lob threat. He can be a, a guy that cuts and, and catches it at the free throw line and just with a, a full head of steam just get to the rim. So uh, I really like what uh, what New Orleans has. And, you know, they um, yeah, let's see. Let's see what uh, what Lonzo uh, is this year. Let's see if, you know, he's going to be. Uh, we're, let's give him every opportunity to uh, deserve a, a contract extension or a, you know, a negotiation for, for next off season. Uh, but yeah, they, they've got a lot of interesting things, a lot of young talent, but yeah, I say, let the young talent play. Don't prioritize winning now focus on, you know, let's, let's be as good as we can be in 2024, 25. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, the, just speaking of that, I was definitely saying, okay, the talent they have, they can make some noise, you know, if they just keep pushing. But you're saying, hey, play the long game, develop, take that time. I agree with you. I think if they take a coach, much like we just talked about with the Knicks, someone who's been around, you know, knows uh, some systems that can help modernize their approach and, and play the long game. It actually, uh, more news, Adrian Wojnarowski took it out earlier that, you know, Stan Van Gundy has moved to the top of, of the list in the Pelicans head coaching search, which I think if he's just a coach, he's solid. I don't know if that's putting a timetable on it for the long haul or not, but someone who can, you know, instill some some positive traits for this young team to move forward. And yeah, maybe not make the playoffs in 2021. Let's set up for 2022 and years to come. If it happens next year, then great. But like you said, let's not make that the priority. I, I'm I'm right there with you on. It. That's a great idea. That's yeah, and, and and for me, I think a, a priority as far as a coach for the Pelicans. I think the big issue they had this season was defensive intensity. You know, I watched a lot of Pelicans games this year thinking they were going to be a really fun team to watch, but they just, uh, you know, over and over again, I, I would turn them on league pass and I would watch them, you know, fail to get back on transition, you know, um, just be kind of lazy with their rotations. And it just felt like a lack of effort, a lack of leadership from the coaching staff. And Alvin, Alvin Gentry, a great guy, a great offensive mind, but mm -hmm. defense has never been his forte. I would love to see the Pelicans, you know, I don't have anybody off the top of my head that I'm thinking about for this, but 
specifically target a, a defensive-minded coach because with Zion and Brandon Ingram, I think this team just talent-wise is going to be great offensively. But what's going to get them to the next level is if they really commit and lock in on defense. Yeah, I agree. It's it, 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 how they make the steps moving forward on the end of the floor that's going to carry them because that offense should be able to carry itself with the type of offensive talent that they have on the team. So, yeah, I, again, I can't. I was trying to think of a coach when you said I don't know of a defensive coach offhand. Maybe a Tom Thibodeau. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> someone, someone who can definitely instill the right approach for that team. All right, so we're almost done here, Gary. Let's close out with some rapid fire. Um, well, as rapid as we decide to make it. But real quick, first question. Who is most likely going to be looking at the number one pick again next year, and why is it the Knicks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the Knicks and, and the Cavs, I think, that are going to be battling it out for that number one pick. And, of course, you know, with the with the changed lottery odds, you can have the worst and second-worst records and, and still not get it. I think both New York and Cleveland dropped <laughs> three or four spots from what they were expected or where they were expected to pick in, in this draft coming up here. But, uh, yeah, I would expect those two to, uh, to have the worst record and, and, and have the best shot come lottery night. I'm right there with you. I mean, <laughs> the Knicks are going to Knicks. That's all we know. All right, so on the positive side of that, which lottery team do you see making the most noise next year? So the team right now in the lottery that by, the, by this time next year we're going to be like, wow, they, they made some noise. And this is excluding, obviously, Golden State, who would be making some noise if they didn't do anything. Yeah, I think it's the, you know, I, I put down four teams here, but the four teams we saw in the Western Conference battling it out, I think it's going to be those teams again, San Antonio, New Orleans, Phoenix, and Memphis. I think all those teams are going to be, you know, at least average and, and, and get near 40 wins, if not a little bit more than that. So uh, those are the four, and, and obviously I expect uh, the Warriors to, to make the playoffs. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm I'm actually looking forward to seeing how they come um and develop and what they do in literally just uh, under a month on um, come draft night. All right, next one. Which front office of the following teams do you trust more? The Knicks, the Bulls, or the Cavs? Yeah, you really are bringing some brutally tough questions here, Corbin. I, I had I had to come up and and raise the level based off the off the uh, guest I have, man. You know I had to. <laughs> you know, if, if I had to pick, I would go with Cleveland. Um, okay. You know, Kobe Altman, uh, you, you can you can criticize him all you want. Maybe the Darius Garland pick is going to end up being a bust. But you've got to at least appreciate the process where even though he drafted Colin Sexton the year before, he recognized that, you know, Colin Sexton isn't, you know, a franchise player despite the fact that he plays point guard, we're going to take who we think is the best available player. So regardless of whether, you know, um, Garland pans out, which I, I still think he can, um, you, you got to appreciate the process there. And then you talk about the end of the draft, getting Kevin Porter Jr. He actually traded, I think it was four second round picks to move up to 30 to get Kevin Porter Jr. It looks like that's going to pan out. It looks like uh, KPJ has some skill, has some talent, is a guy to, uh, you know, be a, a foundational piece for the Cavs moving forward. So that's nice. And, and like I said earlier, I, I still think Dylan Windler might be a decent pick. I think he was taken 26th in last year's draft. So, uh, you know, if, if I had to pick amongst three front offices and, and general managers that aren't exactly great, I, I would go Cleveland. You go Cleveland. Okay. I mean, 
that makes sense. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I, I want to say I'm high on them, but we've seen the moves they made. You already brought up a few that are like, yeah, nah. I mean, I mean, they're they're <laughs> like, it's weird. Well, one, because... one more point. One more point I would like to make with Cleveland as well is. You know the ownership ownership situation. You can say what you will about Dan Gilbert, but the guy has to. the guy has never been shy about spending money. So you know that the 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 management and Kobe Altman is never going to be having to make a decision because the ownership wants to save cash. That is true. They will spare no expense if they think they can improve the roster. I guess I'm still I guess I'm still um more reserved towards Kobe Altman, but you did bring up some some interesting moves that he's made between the margins that I had overlooked. I keep going back to Isaiah Thomas trade. I keep going back to Colin Sexton, things like that. But there were other things that he's done that I maybe didn't put as much light to as I should have. So that is interesting. I'm glad you chose the Cavs. Um, I thought you were going to say the Bulls because who would say the Knicks, right? Um, <laughs> and then lastly, Garrett, I, thanks again, man. Which team are you personally excited to see what they do this offseason? Well, I, I uh, you know, mentioned earlier that I that I wanted to save this for this particular question, and so I'm excited about the Phoenix Suns. I think what the opportunity they have this offseason is really fascinating, especially given the the young core that they have that we've already talked about. But the guy that I think Phoenix needs to get needs to spend most of their free agent cap space on this offseason is Fred Van Fleet. I think Whoa. he is a perfect fit for this Suns team. You know, he provides that defensive toughness. I think he can play alongside either Booker or Rubio. You know, Rubio has had his fair share of injuries throughout the years. And, you know, I think Phoenix has always struggled when Rubio has has missed time. So having Van Fleet as well as kind of a replacement starting point guard when you need him uh, is really valuable as well. And also, you know, we saw in that Toronto-Boston series that Van Fleet, you know, if, if he's uh, overburdened with uh, ball handling responsibilities, maybe that's a, asking a bit too much of him. But with Devin Booker as this elite shot creator and mm-hmm. Van Fleet able to just play off the ball and knock down catch-and-shoot opportunities and maybe be able to attack a defense that has already been warped by Booker's brilliance, I think it's a perfect fit. And, uh, you know, I, I think he, you know, he also fits the timeline from an age perspective. Yeah. I mean, you talked me to, I thought about that before, but for whatever reason, I was like, you know what? I see shades of that 2015 Suns team. Remember with Goran Dragic, Eric Bledsoe and Isaiah Thomas. And, and I know it's not the most rational comparison, but in terms of having, sometimes having too many qualified ball handlers can be a bad thing. But then watching OKC pull it off of Dennis Schroeder, Shade Gilgis, Alexander and Chris Paul and thinking, okay, that ownership was a nightmare, or that management was a nightmare, and that this one would be totally different. And Fred Van Vliet being closer to that age and being someone who fit perfectly with them, you're right. That is a big get if the Suns were able to, if he's on their list, and someone that would not only boost their short-term window, but you're right. He could fit in for a couple of years and not have to be immediately taxed with carrying in, uh, in um, I guess, an average amount of the offense like you would if he was sent to, say, Detroit or New York where he would be taxed with carrying a lot more of the burden than he is probably qualified for. Well, yeah, and, and speaking to your comment about the, the Suns team with, with Dragic and Isaiah Thomas and, and Bledsoe and, and how that all fell apart, uh, you know, part of it is, you know, Bledsoe can't play off the ball. Uh, 
um, you know, Van Fleet can. Also, you know, a guy like uh, Goran Dragic and, and also Isaiah Thomas, those guys can't really defend, um, you know, bigger than their position a lot of times, whereas Fred Van Fleet is is really strong, really tough. And also Ricky Rubio is 6'4", so I think both of those guys can guard either backcourt spot. So, yeah, I, I do think it's a, it would be a great fit, and, and they could even play together, and you could put Booker at the three at times. Uh, or, you know, if again, if, if Rubio continues to have some, some durability issues, you can just slide Van Fleet to the starting point. Yeah, no, I, that does make a lot of sense from a versatility standpoint. And you're right, with the size that Rubio does have, you could put, like you said, Devin to the three or slide things around and have a, a pretty interesting roster. Yeah, wow. uh, so okay. the Suns are, are really fascinating. Obviously, they've got all this this talent, and, and they've got money to pay Fred Van Fleet and more. I mean, how much how much cap space do they have? Uh, they've got uh, close to $19 million. So I guess maybe not. Maybe that would be about what Fred Van Fleet's going to get. Yeah, you'd have to but, put uh, all that on them. Um, but, you know, they, they might still have a, an exception or two to, to work around the edges. Maybe you can get Van Fleet and also bring Baines back and get – one other extra guy, a fringe rotation guy. And, you know, if they're able to do that, I would consider that a pretty, pretty successful offseason. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, that's a team that I think has a lot of intrigue moving forward in terms of what direction they want to go. But you saying, hey, hit him with Fred Van Vliet. That's something exciting, something different. And you're right with the town already there. Something that could really vault the suns up into uh, the thick of in the Western Conference. But um. Garrett, man, this has been a crazy two hours. Um, for those of y'all who I've said Duncan Dynasty, if y'all listen to that, that's a lot of what this show is. It's a lot of deep dive talking about hoops. So this is by far, and this, again, you, you might be pleased to hear this. It has taken me a while to get you on the show, but you have made history because this is the longest episode of NBA Today that we've had so far. All right. Well, yeah. What what would you expect when it's the two of us uh, chatting? <laughs> Exactly, man. It was also a lot of fun, um, a monster one full of great content. Uh, Garrett, I, I I tell you, I thank you. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, got, ladies and gentlemen, follow this great man on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, uh, at Duncan Dynasty for the podcast that I am grateful to be a part of. Um, Garrett, do you have anything else you want to plug or anything you want to share? Um, you know, I uh, I also write at uh, Rip City Project. I, I'm, I'm actually going to... Uh, put out an article here in the next couple of days so so keep an eye out for that but uh yeah other than that yeah check out duncan dynasty and it was absolutely a pleasure i uh, enjoyed every minute of this i was happy to finally make my uh, my appearance on this oh yeah man don't worry it won't be the last we're gonna make up for some lost time here i appreciate you man uh ladies and gentlemen if you think that listening to this pod is good follow his written work it is amazing and you know where to find me but if you don't at corbin nba on twitter uh hoopball presentation as always so hoop-ball.com on twitter at hoopball tweets the off season doesn't stop anything over here we are still going strong so make sure to stay with it and uh i'm staying cool i'm staying frosty garrett are you frosty absolutely all right y'all and, and with that y'all stay frosty and we'll talk to y'all real soon all right y'all